episode 119. My dad would say a day late and a dollar short, but we're not a dollar short unless we took the Seahawks minus six and a half. <laughs> oh my gosh, how about that? I was gonna, I have that in my right notes out of the for gate. Later. I'm coming. I'm coming right out of the gate. Do with it. it. How do you feel? How do you feel about that? If you're the Seahawks and you watch that game, yeah, and you lose that game on a half a point on kind of the hail mary, how you feeling about that? Brutal. But the decision to go for two. That wasn't really necessary, right? <laughs> it was for the spread. <laughs> okay, but it, it's almost as if, well, I don't want to accuse anybody. But <laughs> Oh, no. If he makes it six by kicking the extra point, right, wouldn't it have gone to six? A six-point lead because it was five after the touchdown. Well, it ended up being six, so it would have been a seven-point win, right? It ended up being 23-17. to 17. Right, yeah. So the game would have ended 23-16 to 16 if they kicked the extra point, and Seahawks fans would have won. And after they score the six, you still think, okay, we got to stop the two. If we stop the two, we still win. Right. But it was like a walk-in. Did you see that two-point yeah. conversion? It was like ne- never a doubt. All right, we're already, oh, we're already jumping into this, but when they kicked the onside kick and you saw DK Metcalf all alone, <laughs> was there any part of you that thought, oh, shit, here we go with the good come the bad. This is going to pop out of his hands? Here's what I want, and we're jumping right into <laughs> yeah, this we now. Are. We, are, we are jumping right into this. Here's what I want. Okay. If a playoff game rolls around, or a big game down the stretch rolls around, okay. and the Seahawks are on defense and leading the game with one play to go. Okay. I want DK Metcalf <laughs> yeah. as my free safety. I'm not kidding. Well, there's been teams who have done that in the past. Of course they have. Yeah. Maybe, 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 some, maybe somebody's yelling at the podcast right now, hey, you nitwit. The Seahawks do that with DK Metcalf. I, I almost vaguely remember DK Metcalf yeah. maybe even being out there. But I, I'm serious. There is nobody on your team – you want out there because we don't need them to catch the ball. And sometimes that's a challenge. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> we just need somebody to go up there and, and, and come on. Who's going to out jump? That's right. Out athletic. I know that's not a word. Yeah. DK Metcalf on a Hail Mary down the street. Plus he can box out. He's strong. Oh, yeah. He'd be a great yeah. boxer outer. Also not a word. Now Mitch is going to get burned because DK Metcalf's going to be out there in a playoff game and he's going to draw a <laughs> PI. Right. That's right. Pass interference, defense, number 14. Oh, you imagine? <laughs> God. One more play, ball is spotted at the one-yard line. I know we have a lot of thoughts about DK, but how yeah. good is he at, at baiting people now? Oh, well, we can't fight? get into that oh, yet. We can't. This, okay. is, this is the tease. Right, right. We're only allowed, there's a rule. There's actually a rule. Okay. On the tease, you're only allowed to talk about betting problems. Okay, good. That's, that's it. That's all you can do. But what Gambling was, issues. Back, back to, to them going for two, what was Peterson, why didn't he go for one? Uh, I mean, know, I haven't thought about it because if he goes for one, I'm trying to. Sorry, I think it's six. Then right? No, I just got finished telling you they lost. It by ended, s- they lost by six. If he goes for one, it's yeah. seven. Right? Okay, right. but so they, they can still win the game if yeah. they get the onside. So I he should have just kicked it. I mean, I it worked know. out for him. I think him. he was in the locker room looking at his resignation <laughs> papers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think, he, I think he's writing his, his letter to the Philadelphia. Dear Philadelphia, <laughs> it's been a great run. Right. You know oh. that you, you posted in the newspaper. Uh, what happened to him? Well, think about the the precipitous fall of Carson Wentz. And that Peterson, Peterson's, by the way, from around here. I think he's from, like, Mount Vernon or something. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, oh, okay. like, from where Jake Locker. Where's Jake Locker Ferndale. From? I think they're from the same town. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think oh, Peter, Is it Doug Peterson? Dave Peterson? Doug Peterson, Doug Peterson yeah. Yeah. With a D. What? 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 I mean, he was, he, what happened? He was in the Super Bowl. He won. Did he win the Super Bowl? Nick Foles Nick won the Foles Super Bowl. Nick Foles won it, but I think Carson got him there. 
Yeah, but I'm talking about the coach now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, he's like two weeks removed from winning the Super Bowl. Now he's out of it. He's going to be out of a job. What? Ha- how do you fall that quickly? What happened? I remember seeing I Carson know. Wentz. Just, Does anybody care? Nobody he cares. looked like the new Elway. He was big. He was fast. Oh. He could chuck the ball. He, yeah. I remember the Seahawks trying to tackle, and they couldn't get him down. Remember oh. how Elway was good at just like Roethlisberger? He was going to be the next Elway. What happened? <laughs> Those first three passes of the game. Look like I'm I was su- throwing them. I'm not sure what happened. I don't know what happened either. I have no answer. Episode 119, subscribe, listen, rate, and review. Hey, we got a couple of new reviews last week after we pleaded, we begged, we borrowed, we got on hands and knees and asked people to go to the Apple site, those that listen on Apple, yeah. and post a, a five-star rating and a review. We got some new reviews. You can do it on your phone, too, on the Apple app. I don't I have any well. idea. Yeah, well, it's I've easy. never done it. Okay. You know, I think I'm going to do it. Those guys are terrific. <laughs> Why don't you rate the people the guy, who've rated us? The guy with the big yes, yes. The guy with the big nose is fabulous. That's right. Um, here's one that just popped on the app. So this is for everybody in the world that listens on Apple Podcasts to see our if they ever want to see our ratings and reviews. Here's right. worth the listen and being a patron. This is entitled "Everything's Great But the Sniffs." <laughs> There's always one in the crowd. Yeah. Worth the listen and being a patron. Same great Mitch with the same great relationships with New Heisel and Lock and Fora. You just have to deal with the sniff that they find funny, yet are on par with nails on a chalkboard. That bad. I didn't realize the sniff was like nails on a chalkboard. I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah, I mean, if he's a patron. <laughs> now, maybe he doesn't understand where it came from. Oh, he understood. Don't try to now talk our way out. All right, all right. He thinks it sucks. I thought but... he was outside of the club, so he was hating well, on we it. Well, we probably do overdo it like everything else. Yeah. Moderation is the key to happiness. Yeah, I've never been a fan of that, really. Moderation? Yeah, yeah. no, it's never worked for me. You, the guy taking these pills, these tablets. What are these tablets that you're taking? That's on a long list of everything else in my life. Uh, Let's get some uh, business out of the way here in the tease section of episode 119. Because if we go too long on the tease, two things are going to happen. Steve's going to kick our ass and say, what about the Mary Moore Park meeting? Right. And B, we're going to have to turn around and do like 119P because we're already a day late. <laughs> That's true. But just, just re-rack and go. <laughs> right. Mr. Playoffs, Mr. Postseason. All right, let's get the business out of the way. Beat the boys. Presented by Fireside Home Solutions. You're looking at me. I, I always like to look at your nice. eyes and see if I can tell what you had. I'm going to guess what you had. We had three games. Do you even know how you did? Let me look it up. Yeah, I, no, you don't have to look it up. Well, I, that'll take, take two, time. No, that'll take time. Takes two seconds. Uh, two seconds. We don't have the two seconds. I second. have it right here. <laughs> right here. And the guy I have the How'd slide bit with is always Fireside Home Solutions for the holidays. How about a new energy efficient, comfy, cozy fireplace from Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Three games. How'd you do? Well, I had Arizona. Wah wah. I had Tennessee. I didn't. All right, that's yeah. a win. Yeah. We're good. Kansas City? I had Kansas City. So you went 2-1 and one and I went 2-1. and one. Yeah. That's not too bad. I had New England, but I had Indianapolis. Oh, uh, okay. And then I had Kansas City. Yeah. All right. All right. Not too bad. Uh, week three, uh, week 13 business. Here are your three games. I want you to remember the game that I'm about to utter to you. Okay. I, I got a feeling in my Mr. Postseason bones. I got a feeling in my Mr. Postseason bones. I'm gonna uh, my first game that I'm gonna say. You're gonna say, "Oh, that's an easy one." I got a feeling in my Mr. Postseason bones. Okay. Saints at Falcons is our first game next week. Browns and Titans. Okay. 
And Rams at Cardinals. Rams oh, at Cardinals, Browns and Titans, and Saints at the lowly Falcons, who just so happened to beat the Raiders by a billion last week. They did. And are playing better football all of a sudden. Quietly playing better football against a Saints team without Drew Brees, who played a Denver Broncos team with no, literally had a safety playing quarterback. That was horrendous. That was embarrassing. <laughs> Do you see the highlights? I watched it when I see the highlights. You don't think well, I watched it on one of these games? Uh, one of these TVs? I watched the whole damn insane. game. I was I couldn't stop watching. It was one, like a train wreck. One for nine. Oh my god! And it was a pass I could have made. It was yeah. You know, it was like a, it was in the third quarter. It was yeah. like a screen pass. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't want to go down Saints this road, but Saints Col- and Falcons. Colin Kaepernick sitting out there, not better than that guy. Saints right. and Falcons. Gotcha. Do you know who we are rooting for in that game? Well, I would assume the Falcons. Mm-hmm. If- mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, you need a code word? I do. Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Guy's already pissed off. <laughs> Collins. Collins. As okay. in Phil. Oh, nice one. Nice one. <laughs> you didn't even get it. No, I didn't get it's it. It's late. It's a Monday night. It's Collins mix. Morning. Like, you know, tonic or something, you know. Uh, if you are missing out on Mr. Playoffs, Tale of the Tape, Seahawks Note Table, P episodes, we do about three or four bonus shows each week in between the free weekly shows on Monday. All you got to do to get all those shows is become a Mitch Unfiltered patron for five measly dollars a month. Yep. How do you do that? You go to MitchUnfiltered.com and click the link that says become a become a patron. I don't know when... For the record, for our patrons that are listening right now, I don't know when we're going to do the P. You probably are going to ask me before you leave, when are we doing yep. the P show this week? Well, they normally come out on Thursday, but this is only coming out on Tuesday. and I, yeah. Maybe Friday. We'll do like a Friday-ish one. I don't know. We do it Thursday night. We release it Friday. I don't know. Yeah, this is kind of throwing it all off, hasn't it? It always yeah. does. I'm going to go take a nap on the couch and wake me up in an hour and we'll do the next <laughs> Misty one. Misty will take a nap for you. <laughs> She'll take a nap with you, I yeah, should Yes, she say. will. Um... Which brings me to the rave reviews. Ah, well, almost rave. There was one. Well, there was a couple that thought you were reading from Wikipedia. <laughs> well, I do have to get the information from somewhere. Hopefully, you didn't use Wikipedia. Turns out, because I made all this. I'm the one who wrote the Wikipedia. And I don't know who Phil Collins is. <laughs> Turns out, I don't have this all in my head. I do have to read articles on Wikipedia and try to piece it all together. But yes, most people were very, very nice and want another one. We so. have never gotten. More comments about a patron show. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> well, and I might be a little bit emotional and pissed about this. Well, I can fix that. I sit around for hours doing Mr. Playoffs, tail of the tape, yeah. trying to figure out little things that makes patrons happy, mm-hmm. giving them T-shirts and deals on Seahawks stuff. And yeah. you come along mm-hmm. like a knight in shining armor. And don't you forget it, Norman. Um, you know that was I from? don't. Is that don't, don't, on Golden it. Pond. Oh, I've seen it once. You're my knight and shining off. Oh, sure, And yeah. don't you forget it. Yeah. yeah. No, it was good. I enjoyed it. I saw it late, but yeah. it's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you come riding in on your horse in your little white suit, uh, and you do this freaking MTV show that has me up to 1.30 in the morning. Oh, really? I, I listened to the whole thing the first night, actually 1 o'clock in the morning. Well, you know it wasn't live. You could have listened the next day. I, I thought it might self-destruct, like Mission Impossible. <laughs> right, right. This, I think you said at the very beginning, this podcast will self-destruct yeah, in did. five seconds. Mm-hmm. God, people loved it. I don't know whether they're just being nice. It wasn't that. I mean, it was good. It wasn't that good. No, I mean. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Well, I'm not, though. I, I, I thought it was really back. good. Oh, I thought it was really you. good. That's very nice. I thought nice. it was really good. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's... I still don't understand how we got there. Why we did Phil Collins. Well... Why we, 
we brought him up twice, and then I just started thinking, this is how my head works. I'm like, I bet he has 15 songs that you know. I was just thinking about all the it's hits. More. How many did you play? I don't know. I, I, I could count, but I don't know. 20? Probably. I knew every song. Crazy, right? Not only did I know every song that you played, <laughs> yeah. I knew the words of every song that right. you played. I know. But, but if you, someone said, are you a big Phil Collins fan? You'd go, no, 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 not really. You know every you song. You know every You know the yeah. words. Yeah, yeah, it is crazy. So yeah, I just started digging what, in. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question now, and I know we are dragging on the tees, oh, and, yeah, and the poor tease. guy can't go to sleep. Right. Um, <laughs> sorry. You're gonna think I'm joking, but I'm serious. Okay. Would you consider? I think people would like it. They'd find it funny. I would like it because I would I would take it seriously, but everybody else would just think it's funny. All right. Would you do one of those on Barry Manilow? I think it would be his life story. It's pretty crazy. You, do you know his life story? I don't, but a I trust bit about you. The Bette Midler connection. and, okay. the, and the, all right. Oh, all right. Well, just so you know, I, I did figure out Mandy on the acoustic guitar for next time I'm at home. So Really? That'll be this week for like Mr. Mr. All right. Mr. Well, maybe I'll break a little Is Mandy that true? Up. Yeah, I don't know if it's the exact right chords. Oh, man. All of his songs are written on piano, so the chords are kind yeah. of weird on guitar. I want a disc. Did you call it a discography? What did you call it? I, I don't know what it's called. It's a patron show. Is what it's called. It's a patron show. Yes. Can you do one? Show. You got to do one on, on Barry. Well, who's your next star? Are you going to do these? Th- is this becoming like a like you did the thing on um, Eddie Van Halen's guitar with the guitar guy? Right? Yeah, when he passed. Guitar, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you didn't come back for like weeks and weeks. People thought, oh, we're going to get a regular. <laughs> dose of hot shot. And then well, you I don't know if people like it. I don't want to just start voice hot myself shot. into the hot you know. shot. Hot shot. They don't have to listen. This is not on the radio show. You can if people don't like it and they don't want to listen. Yeah. The people who do like it can listen, and okay. the people who don't, yeah. Well, I'm glad some they people liked choice. it because it's it's a lot of work. So I want to make sure at least three people like it. You know? Did you see the reviews? <laughs> Did you see people commenting? It was like it was embarrassing for me. Yeah, but it's, they were really putting me in my place. It was indirectly saying, "Mitch, you suck." It's less about me. I'm, I'm playing Phil Collins music, so it's a little no, more about him. No, it was him, good. I mean. It was good. The story well, was you. good. I, I love doing that stuff, so it doesn't seem like work. So I do have another one. I've already laid down all the music for it, but Is I don't it know. A if surprise, I say who it. it's going to be? Or? Yeah, let's let's just do a surprise. But it's a singer songwriter. You know, it's a famous person you've heard of, and I bet he has a bunch of songs too that you're like, "Oh yeah, I like that song." Billy Joel. No, that that would he would that would be a lot of work like Phil Collins. He's got a ton of songs, you know, Billy Joel. Yeah. This this guy does too the next one, but it's like trying to do one on well, I don't know. Yeah, my Phil Collins is probably the hardest. Eight albums in one decade? That's Michael Jackson had what, two? I mean, <laughs> eight albums? It's crazy. So I'm glad people liked it. Guests on this episode 119. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com on the Monday Nighter. Seahawks win to get to 8-3. and three. Rick Neuheisel, very funny, very good. CBS College Football Analyst, another really good segment. He'll talk the dogs. How about the dogs? 21 point. 21-point deficit that they turn around into a victory. We went into SeaTac. Biggest comeback since 1988. Did you see that? Yeah, we went into SeaTac Airport at halftime to pick someone up. Yeah. And what was it, 17 nothing or 21 21 nothing at 21, half. I'm yeah. like, oh, this is over. over. I get in the car a couple hours yeah. later. Wow, that was awesome. And the third guest you've never heard of. Oh. And yet, I believe, and I don't want to oversell it, you know how I say every once in a while you have a guest on, you have no idea what's going to happen? Yeah. And it just falls like like out of God's hands into your lap. <laughs> right. You're going to call this guest. This guy is so right up your alley. As oh. it turns out, I didn't even know. Okay. So I wanted to get somebody on to talk about Mike Tyson. 
I thought this would be a good time. Somebody who saw the fight on Saturday, you saw the fight sure. on Saturday. I want to get your thoughts. And somebody who just knows about Mike Tyson, this would be a good time to talk about him, tell stories. What don't we know about him? And so I, I, I requested the guy who co-wrote his autobiography. Hmm. And the guy's name, I had never really heard of him. The guy's name is Larry Ratso Sloman. His nickname is Ratso. I love Ratso already. Yeah. Ratso is his nickname, okay. and it was given to him by Joan Baez. Okay. Joan Baez, of all people. That's all right. right. And he's like 70, 75 years old. He co-wrote that one. He also co-wrote Howard Stern's books, it turns out. Okay. Larry Ratso Sloman. He's kind of a legendary writer in that, in that, in that, in that ilk. I think he, he used to come on. Stern had a guy on named Ratso. That's him. Okay. But come on. There's only one Ratso. Well, right. But yeah. Yeah. Well, that's his buddy. Okay. That's, yeah. 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 Okay. He would have him on the show from time to time. I didn't know that. Okay. Okay. So I had him on to talk about Tyson. Yeah. And it just segues into traveling with Bob Dylan. Oh, wow. And, I would love this guy. In 1975 <laughs> oh, and how he God. got the nickname from Joan Baez and, you know, just the, just the, wow. whole, just the whole thing. I would love it. I would and love he's going to start to, he's going to, He's the third guest. Great. You're going to hear, and the stories he's going to tell, you're going to love the stories. I cannot he's wait. He's got a little bit of irreverence to him, a little a little hard edge to him, not afraid to curse. In fact, he cursed like two or three times, and then late in the in the segment, he goes, can I curse on the podcast? I was like, I appreciate you asking me after you've cursed three times. <laughs> right, a little late. He's like, I just want to know him. Are you going to edit that stuff out? You know, he's just, yeah, he's yeah. got, he's like, he's got a little bit of, I don't give a shit older guy to him love it a little Bino cook that you don't remember Bino, no, I remember uh, Bino. okay yeah, yeah. he's got just a little edge to him like okay. a little New York edge yeah. and he's got great <laughs> stories about hanging with the celebrities about auditioning with Mike Tyson at the Four Seasons in, in Hollywood to try to get the job of co-writing the I mean just he's got all kinds of love stories it. I can't wait you're gonna love this I love guy. it Already. you're gonna love this guy okay that those are the guests on uh, on episode 119 a couple of words hot shot about our partners before we begin this episode 119, the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. If you were ever going to take a look at your current mortgage and see if a refinance is a good idea, you'd be a fool not to do it now or soon. Rates in the twos could mean huge monthly savings for your family. A five-minute call with Jordan Flowers or his team will identify how much you can save. Call 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call. Vaccines are coming. Unemployment is recovering. The stock market is at an all-time high. Tyler Hayes Evergreen team can help you make some very profitable decisions to take advantage of the current opportunities out there. Begin at evergreengovcall.com. That's G-A-V-E-K-A-L.com. A client compatibility survey. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Zeke's Pizza, as we continue to support our local businesses, remember to order Zeke's Pizza delivery, Northwest-style pizza, and an unmatched beer selection. Both can be at your door safely in no time. Download the Zeke's Pizza app and enjoy Zeke's Pizza homegrown in the Northwest. And Daniel's Broiler, while inside dining is on hold again, three locations of Daniel's have decided to stay open this time around with some outside seating and a growing pickup and delivery business. You can imagine how difficult it is right now for the Schwartz family's 40-year-old Northwest institution. Consider an incredible Daniel's Steak Dinner at your place and make your home a world-class steakhouse. Episode 119 begins right now. 
unfiltered. Before they started that last drive, just for the record, if we were all rooting against Tom Brady right now, he would take them down for the game-winning score, and there's no question about it. Let's see what happens when we're actually rooting for him. And of course, he throws a duck for an interception. Unfiltered. What would you rather be good and it's questionable whether you're really that good and 11 and 3 or would you rather be oh really really good no everybody loves how good you're play how well you're playing right now yeah and 7 and 7 the reason i ask that question is because on some level what decides the outcome of a season more than how good you are is the position you're in at the end of the season mitch is unfiltered officially underway on episode 119 and i know that people uh, a lot of people in the northwest that listen to this podcast want us to get right to the the seahawks win over the eagles on monday night after all we held the podcast back a day so that we could talk about money but i'm always kind of in between because i have all these other things this little stuff that's happened since you and i i mean thanksgiving happened since you and right. i last chatted right? i know crazy lots of stuff happened i finished off the turkey on sunday i mean four days of it i'm out I love turkey. I eat turkey all year round. Okay. I'm one of the. A lot of people don't like turkey. I like it. I don't eat it all year round. I eat it all year round. Okay. I eat turkey sandwich. I, I'm. I'm probably. You're probably looking at a guy that eats more turkey sandwiches than any over a course of a year than anybody you have ever met. Really, you like it that? Yeah. Wait, no. Do you no, buy I, the big one and cook it, or you get like no, the cold cuts? No. Sometimes I get cold cuts. Sometimes I get it in restaurants. Whatever. Okay. I eat turkey for a reason. A, I like it. And B, it's the healthiest of the poultry slash meats, I think. No? Depends on what you consider healthy. Look at you, healthy. Doc. Well. Well, I mean, it has less fat than chicken right, well. and, and, and red meat or whatever. I just eat, Fine. since I was a kid, I've eaten okay. a ton of turkey all year round. So, I don't mind the leftovers. I don't mind. It's not really a special occasion for me Thanksgiving because I've been eating it. I probably ate it the day before. Right. <laughs> I ate turkey sandwiches. All and you guys stayed home, just cooked here? And- we cooked here. We cooked the turkey. Nice. We we cooked the, uh, we had the trimmings. We had Max home from the University of Washington. Right. That's a story in and of itself. We got together. We got a little fire going. We did a little s'mores. Oh. We, did the, we did the best we could under the circumstances. Yeah. Because as you know... On a typical Thanksgiving, a guy like me would do the exact same thing, only have the people over. <laughs> no, I have no people over. Right, exactly. Uh, so I have a million of these things All that right. I thought I'd shoot at you before we got to the Seahawks. Are we in a rush or something? Do you have to go somewhere? Steve's, I, I, I got oh, the heat on Steve me. Steve in the back of your head. You know, yeah, it's yeah. Monday night. What, what time is it right now as we're recording this? It's 10.06. Yeah, okay. He's, by the time he gets the, he gets this, and then he's got hours of work to do after he gets this. Oh. All right. So I, I don't know if I'm in a rush or not, but... All right, go. I feel the heat. Go, go. Give me something. Well, we'll come back to the Seahawks beating the Eagles. Rams lose to the Niners. Who saw that coming? Not me. To help out the Seahawks. Not me. That was nice. That was great. I watched it. It was on the day that the Niners found out that they're now NFL nomads. They're not allowed to play at home for the next three weeks. I I love how everyone uses the Cardinal Stadium as like an Airbnb. (laughs) When the Seahawks play there, they just go down there. They have more fans. They kick the shit out of it, and then they go home. You know what's funny that you say that? I have a story to tell about that. I shouldn't probably do it, but I will. Okay. Years and years and years. I don't know how many because there's a lot. There have been, unfortunately, a lot of uh, forest fires in California, California wildfires. This has got to be 10 or 12 years ago that 
during the Thanksgiving or some vacation that my family was taking in Arizona. All right. This has got to be 15 years ago. We were in Arizona. We were in Scottsdale or something by the pool, whatever. And we were getting home, getting ready to come home. There was a Monday night game between the San Diego Chargers and Miami Dolphins scheduled for San Diego the next week, the next day. Okay. The Monday after we got home. And there was a big announcement. Can't play it in San Diego because of the wildfires. They're moving it to Phoenix, Arizona. And here I am on Sunday. I'm like, wait a second. I can go to a Dolphins game. Yeah. So I literally sent them back. They all went back. Yeah. I think they went back. No, they may have stayed. We stayed an extra day. The point is I stayed an extra day because they moved this San Diego, Miami. And here's the thing. Here's the here's the kicker. It was it became a free game. Anybody who wanted to go. Oh, no. Okay, that's awesome. Well, well, they announced it on Sunday yeah. that on Monday night, two out-of-town teams are going to come, or on Saturday, they're going to come and play on Monday that's night so cool. at Tempe at the Arizona. So cool, huh? <laughs> that's amazing. Well, let me tell you how amazing it was. Yeah. Think about it for a second. Anybody can come and do and no concessions. Oh. <laughs> no concessions are open. Gotcha. Anybody. I swear to God, I feared for my life. <laughs> really? My my family drops me off. I was the only one to go. My kids and my wife didn't go. Mm-hmm. I just I'm going to a Dolphins Monday night game. Yeah, I, didn't I thought it was that. a great idea. Yeah. People are throwing haymakers, throwing bottles, and <laughs> it just got people were lit up like a, all nobody paid to get in. Free game. It was people were drunk off their minds. Oh, there was yeah. like, I don't know, there was probably Ten thousand people there, twelve thousand people yeah, there, yeah. but it was unruly. People weren't even there to watch a game; yeah. they were just there to cause hell. Of and it, it was—I swear to God—I thought I was going to die that night. <laughs> I never thought about that, but it makes sense. <laughs> hey, anyway. what do you want to do? Let's go to an NFL game. It's free. I'm anyway, in. you're right. They move games to Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, Broncos. We just mentioned played a game without a quarterback. Yep. They had a safety play quarterback. One completion, twelve yards. We had Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. Amazing in the Chiefs win over Tom Brady. Did you see, for the first time in 20 years, a quarterback named Patrick Mahomes, he threw for 360 yards in the first half. Oh. 360 yards in the first half. Crazy, right? What did he end up with? Uh, not many more, like 400 and something. Okay. 360 uh, and one half. How about Tyreek Hill? Tyreek Hill. Had 13 catches, 269 yards, and three touchdowns. He's the fifth wide receiver in NFL history to have those stats in a game, to have something that good, to have a game that good, essentially. When he he has the ball, does he look like the fastest player in the league? Yes, yes, by far. Doesn't he? Maybe it's because his legs are shorter. He's tiny or something. He looks like the fastest guy, but but easily the fastest guy for some reason when he runs. He looks a lot faster than DK Metcalf, who's a tall guy. That's exactly right. Because big guys don't look fast. Yeah. Even when they are fast, they don't look fast. Buda Baker would say otherwise, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we know DK's fast. Right, but something about Tyreek Hill, he just looks fast. The dogs rally from 21 down. Yeah, that was fun. Show a little character. Come back and beat Utah. And and they they debuted in the top 25 of the rankings, the, the few rankings that came out. By the time this, this podcast comes out, they'll probably be in the, the big rankings as well. I saw they were 23 at some point. Yeah, least. 23 in two polls. Okay. But the big poll that comes out on Tuesday, the committee's poll, yeah. oh, they'll, gotcha. be, they'll be in that one too. Undefeated well into November. Well, in December now, right? That Jimmy Lake, he's got a hell of a win percentage. <laughs> sure Career does. win percentage. He's undefeated. He's got to be the best of all time. <laughs> all time, yes. <laughs> uh, Pac-12 football slide continues. Oregon's loss to Oregon State kills the entire conference. That's Who, it for the conference. Right, that's it for the conference. That's Throw dirt on say. the grave of the Pac-12. Uh, hey, 
The Dogs played a basketball game against the number two team ranked in the country, Baylor. Uh, they lost by 30. Ask me how they looked in that game. <laughs> hey, I'm curious, Mitch, if you watched the Huskies and Baylor play. I'm, I'm wondering, just because I didn't get to see it, how did the Huskies look in that yeah, game? You know the answer to that question. Not on TV. Yeah, first of all. Not allowed to be on TV. Twelve ninety nine or something? We had to pay 13 bucks to oh. see. In 2020... Two major conference teams. One is the number two team in the country, yeah. and I can't watch it on TV yeah. on Sunday. And you have every channel, known demand. And known demand. Can't, can't watch it. <laughs> not allowed Wasn't to watch Wasn't Baylor it. without one of their good players, too? I mean, did they have somebody hurt I or don't no? even know. No, okay. Once I found out I couldn't watch, I had no, I, I no, no. We had a woman play in an SEC game. I got that, yeah. Sarah Fuller. We had Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley upsetting Peyton Manning and Steph Curry. Oh, you watched? Was that on Friday, right? TNT. Was that interesting to watch? I, well, for me, it was. Charles Barkley surprised me. He had a much better swing than he's ever had, than no I've hitch, ever seen. No weird kind of stop nope. and go? He fixed oh, it. Okay. Somehow he fixed it. Now, he's not very good, but he fixed it well enough to get the ball out there and give Phil Mickelson a chance to win. So they won. They were huge underdogs in Vegas. Huge underdogs. Oh, cool. And they won. Not that that matters at all. Peyton Manning, you talking about the game show host, Peyton Manning? Is he a game show host now? College Bowl is back. I don't know. Oh, the co- the old college the bowl old with the college students? bowl, yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. He's the host now. Yeah. I'm glad he landed on his feet and made a couple bucks. Got the, the marbles out of his mouth. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Those Manning boys, they all have marbles in their mouths. Yeah. Uh, Nicky Saban watches the Alabama Auburn game from home because he's not allowed to go to the game. Yeah, I saw he got in a it. suit and tie. He watches it in a suit and tie. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Why? What's up? Don't know. Because he's Nick Saban. Yeah, he's watching in a suit and tie. He's got COVID. And he's watching in the suit and tie. Second time he's got it. Right? Is it the second well, time? Well, I don't think he really had it the first time. I think it was a false positive, whatever oh, that means. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, false positive. Yeah. But he's got symptoms this time, so I hope yeah. he gets better. Oh, he does. He looks fine. Okay. He looks fine. Uh, and I, Nate Robinson. Ugh. I don't even want what to talk you, about this. Nate Robinson, before we get to the Seahawks. Nate Robinson. I, I Honestly, I, I this is like bumming me out. It's bumming me out like the whole weekend. He ran right into a right hand, and that was the – was he out cold? Or was that like, an, was that an act? I, I don't know. He looked like he was out cold, but who knows? Did he get knocked out cold in a boxing match against a YouTuber? It looks like it. Yeah. How was that? So you paid the fifty bucks? I sure did. <laughs> I didn't. I have my receipt still. Can I take it back? <laughs> you can. You can send me the receipt. I'll reimburse you. <laughs> so it started at five. We left for the airport at five. Got home at eight o'clock and. The second or the, the third fight hadn't even started. It was like a six-hour production. Well, you got your money's worth. <laughs> if you want to see DJ Khaled or whatever, uh, did he fight? No, but I wish. Oh, okay. I'd like to fight him. <laughs> no, it was it was it was. I'm glad I watched it. It was there was something cool about seeing Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. in the ring at the same time. It almost felt kind of like a video game. Yeah, where you could just put anyone in there you want. That, yeah, and their stances were the same and their styles were the same. How do you look? He was in shape. Mike Tyson? Tyson was in shape. He's he, only a couple pounds heavier than he was at this, in his last fight. He was in or shape. Couple, he was in shape. He he didn't. I mean, did he look old? Yeah, he's fifty six or fifty four. Yeah, but if you were fifty four and had that body, you'd be loving your life. Don't get me wrong, right? Right. That's great for fifty four. Right. Doesn't have the pecs. You know, he was just pecs. He was big, just the whole top part, and his gait was a little old guyish. Yeah. But he was still. You know, he'd get low and bob and weave. Yeah. He, he would. He was still doing that. It was just. It's like putting a podcast on half speed, you know, to listen to. It was just a little slower, but it was cool. And I, I'm going to – I'll watch it again. I, I think he's going to do it again. But it wasn't a and draw. You'll, you'll pay for it again. I, I think I will. If, well, the second fight's going to have to everybody be Everybody said that he won easy. Yeah, he did. He did. I mean – And the other thing that everybody said was that Snoop Dogg was very good. He was great. That, that he was the star of the show. I mean, I think he had the line of the show, which was 
It looks like two of my uncles fighting at the barbecue. Oh, that, that was his? Yeah, that oh. was Snoop Dogg. I thought that that was uh, Odell Beckham. <laughs> I thought it was Snoop Dogg's. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it was Snoop. He was great, Snoop Dogg. He was smoking weed and rapping, and it was it was a big party. I don't know. It was... It was Nate Robinson. Yeah, I know. It's just... What happened? And when the fight first started, Nate, you forget how quick he is as a human. He, yeah. he darts. He darts at him and tries to land a punch. Doesn't. And then... Jake throws it's Jake right I I don't know Jake Paul yeah so Jake throws one Nate misses it Nate looks so quick like he's this Jake Paul's not gonna have an answer for his his quickness right and then he darted again he's so quick and but it was punch hug punch hug punch hug and then he just got one of the punches he got caught in the back of the head as he was going down I think that was illegal but yeah dude it was a bummer I it bummed me out 37 years I'm uh, getting beat up by a 25 year old just kind of made me sad in a way I mean, Jake Paul's pretty big dude. He's not some punk, you know. But yeah, it was it was sort of it was sort of tough to watch. I, I, Did they interview Nate after? Has anybody talked to him since? I fast forwarded as soon as I saw him oh. down. I, I just I couldn't watch it. I left to go. He edit looked something. like he was out cold. No, it, it did. And yeah, and the way he landed, he wasn't bracing himself, so it looked like he was out cold. Yeah, I, I think he was. I think he was out cold. It was a bummer. It was a bummer. But now you'll be happy to know Jose Canseco has jumped in the middle. And tweeted that he wants to fight one of these, one of these, one of these brothers. <laughs> of course he does. Okay, see if you can make sense of this tweet really quick. Are okay. you ready? Is, is yeah. this, is and this, then we'll go to Seahawks. Is this English by Jose Canseco? I will fight any one of the Logan brothers. They have enough for everyone with any type of talent yet or fighting skills. I don't know. I don't know. I lost you. <laughs> okay, I don't know what you're it. talking about. I don't know. No one does. It's Who's Jose Logan? Canseco. But. Th- their last name's Paul. Yeah. There is a Logan Paul, but oh, so they're oh. not the Logan. But how about that sentence? They have he was enough. drinking. He was high. They have enough for anyone with any type of talent yet or fighting skills. What? <laughs> how does that? How did he make it as far as he has in life? Uh, how well, far has he made it in life? Well, he was pretty good, pretty good baseball player. Now he owns a car wash, so there you go. Nate Robinson. Yeah, I know. It, it, <laughs> I, I had to fast forward. I was like, this can't be happening. I can't believe that. I can't either. Knocked out cold. I thought worst case scenario, they go six rounds and he didn't he quit, right? He didn't take a dive. From what I hear about the guy, he's not a quitter. He's not going to take no, a dive. Why would he do that? Yeah, why would he? I don't know. He looked good for like the first 30 seconds. I was like, oh, I think Nate's going to show something. Nope. But I'm sure he's probably up for a rematch. Seahawks beat the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday night, 23-17. to They're 8-3. and They take sole possession of first place in the NFC West. And they take a they take out the first pin of four, right? Everybody has been talking about that those four pins, those four easy games in a row. Are they going to take care of business and knock them down systematically one at a time? Yeah. Philadelphia was first. The Giants now with Colt McCoy, we think at quarterback. Second, <laughs> I thought he was in the booth. <laughs> the Jets, the Jets are third. Haven't won a game, and then. The one team that scares me maybe more than the others, I don't even know why, maybe because I watched them on Thursday look pretty good, the Washington football team. Don't they have a good front four? I don't follow it close enough to be able to tell you. But they looked pretty good on Thanksgiving against the Cowboys, and they got the quarterback. You don't really want to hit the quarterback. Yeah. People are, like, pulling up on him. You don't really want to hit the quarterback. Right. It's not fair. But the Seahawks have have been assigned the task of taking care of four easy games, supposedly easy games. They do it. They're 11-3 and three with two games to go against the Rams and the 49ers. And they take their best shot at one of the high seeds, if not the highest seed in the NFC. So they took care of the first pin 
on Monday night, 23-17. to 17. I do have – I know this, this is not a time for Mr. Playoffs. Mm-hmm. Mr. Playoffs will be his own patron podcast coming up this week. Right before Mandy, yes. No, he'll be well before Mandy because – oh, Mandy. Oh, yes, Mandy, not okay. the retrospective. No, of, no, no, not that. Of, no, no, that's of, like five years Bay. away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get through the, the next 17, and then we'll maybe see if we have time for him. I'm not sure what people are going to say about maybe people thought that they were just going to go to Philadelphia and blow the doors off them. And at the the beginning of the game, it looked like that was exactly what was going to happen. And then they kind of, you know, it was not a pretty looking game. I didn't expect a pretty game. I think the Philadelphia Eagles are good at uglying up the game. They got Mm -hmm. a pretty good defense. They got a bad offense. It it, it promised to be a pretty ugly game and it was. Um, But I think, I think it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't think really, I don't think we can spend, I think any, any time we spend on this game is probably too much. Because you don't really learn anything except they needed to go out, go on a business trip, beat the Eagles, come back, take care of business. And that's what they did. I do have a number of different little things that people will be talking about this week about the Seahawks performance. I think the top billing, number one, goes to the defense. I was going to ask you, did, is it, did it feel like the first time that the offense was outplayed by the defense? It's a combination of... Um, who they were playing. I mean, the offense was going against a pretty good defense. Okay. We did this on the tail of the tape. I yeah, think yeah. I, sh- I, sh- I showed you that the, that the Eagles' defense was pretty good statistically and the Eagles' offense is woeful. So you would expect the Seahawks' defense to be able to go and kind of feast on a really bad offense. Okay. That being said, it is the NFL. These guys are trying to win. And so we're always, we're always lining up to take shots at the Seahawks' defense. So let's, let's give them credit where credit was due. 250 yards total for the Eagles, and most of those yards were late in the game when they didn't mean anything. Yeah, especially the very last This play. is a team that gives up 430 a game. The Seahawks give up 430 a game. They only give up 250. So their, their tail of the tape I is like trending it. up for the defense. Uh, Eagles running backs were 9 for 28, 9 carries for 28 yards. Oof, I didn't Eagles know running backs came into the game averaging 5.5, 5.7 yards a carry, and the Seahawks did a great job on, C- on, on Eagles running backs. So Give them a, they had six sacks. You got to give them that. I think what an underrated portion of Monday night's game were the three fourth down plays. The Eagles went for it on fourth down a couple of times. They probably shouldn't have, but they went for it on fourth down. And if they make it on any of those fourth down plays, it might tilt the game into a competitive, a more competitive, sweated out, better than the ballet game. Yeah. And the Seahawks did the job on those fourth down plays. So I think that needs to be pointed out. I thought for the most part, the corners, Shaq did a pretty good job. I hate to say it, but Trey Flowers did a pretty good job. Um, I think only Goddard hurt them, the tight end against the safeties. So all in all, they had 12 quarterback hits. They had six sacks. We're always asking for pass rush. Let's give this, let's tip our cap number one to the Seahawks defense. I'm with you. I saw Dunlap has a sprained foot. Uh, let's hope, I didn't know that. Yeah, let's hope that gets better soon because I think he's coming I on. I thought that they got out of that game pretty clean, no? I heard Dunlap has a on your sprained way over? foot on my way over, yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll see how bad it is. Maybe how about the bad. play? How about the sack by, by Dunlap? Have you watched that closely? No. I tweeted out the actual footage of him okay. on that sack that he had or half sack that he had. He gets chipped by a receiver. He gets essentially double teamed. He, he he fights off the chip, goes around the right tackle, and gets to the quarterback. Just exactly what the Seahawks have right. not had <laughs> right. all year. So, I, I yeah, I didn't know that he got hurt. Yeah, you no, know, he's coming on. But speaking of defense, I thought KJ Wright had a good game. That's probably KJ Wright had a good game. Did yeah. you think he had a good game? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That he, tip, that tip, that, that batted ball down. was big, big. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Five, yeah. He had five tackles and a sack. 
yep. two tackles for loss, and then that batted down play. Jamal on the Adams game. played well. Nine tackles, led the team. A Had sack. a sack, yeah. Tackle for loss. He did get beat. Hits. He did get beat on one play over the middle by the tight end. Really schooled him pretty good, but for the most part, he was good in coverage. And I know that's been a talking point in this town the last week. Sure has. Um, well, DK Metcalf. Got to talk about DK Metcalf. Ten catches, 177 yards, dropped a touchdown. So how many now should he have? <laughs> oh, I forgot about we're doing that routine. <laughs> So that's the third that he should have had. One, he stopped early. Right. One, he had hit his face right. mask. And then on Monday night, he had the ball in his hands when the when the defender fell down, an easy touchdown that he just went right through his arms. It's like someone threw a toaster at a five-year-old and said, catch this. I mean, it was like, I bet that's what the scouts pictured he would look like in the NFL. Probably like just more a times. a big than, guy who just couldn't catch. The problem is all the other times he looks like an all-world receiver. <laughs> that that one-hander so on the sideline? Unbelievable. Incredible, right? Unbelievable. 10 catches, 177 yards. I'll give you some stats on him that might do it for you. Um, he's got 58 catches, 1039 yards, and nine touchdowns. That should be 12. Yes. 58 catches, 1039, nine touchdowns through 11 games. Okay? That's really good. He's on a pace for 84 catches. 1,511 yards and 13 touchdowns. The pace should be 17. Yeah. Touchdowns. How many players in NFL history have had 1,511 yards or more in an NFL season? Now, the number is going to sound big, but when you think about it, in the history of the NFL, 41 guys. Okay. Only 41 guys in the NFL history. I shouldn't say guys. Only 41 seasons. Only There's been only 41 examples of a receiver having 1,511 or more yards in a season. And that's the pace that the second-year receiver for the Seahawks is on. I'll give you one more. What's the greatest – here's a trivia question for you. Stump the band. Okay. What's the greatest yards-receiving season in, NFL, in Seahawks history? Oh, in Seahawks history. Da, 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 for yards. Da, da. Most yards by a receiver in a season yeah. in Seahawks history. Largent's the easy answer, so it's not Largent. But after Largent, the receivers really drop off. They haven't not been a franchise of all-world See, receivers. I wouldn't have thought Largent only because I would have thought as the passing game has become more and more and more and more and more yeah. that somebody new must have come along and beat Steve Largent when the answer is they haven't. Huh. 1985, Steve Largent, 1,287 yards. That's, that's the great No, that's the greatest receiving yards in Seahawks history. Yeah. 1,287 DK's on a pace for 1511. So he's on a pace to destroy it. What's the I told you that he's on a pace for 12 touchdown. Uh he's on a pace for 13 touchdown catches. He should be on a pace for 17 because he, he should have three more. Yeah. What's the greatest touchdown receiving season in the history of the Seattle Seahawks? The most touchdowns in one da, season. Da, 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 da. Say Steve Largent. It's gotta be Steve Largent. It's not. Why would you say that? <laughs> Daryl Turner. How about Brian Blades? How about Doug Baldwin? Really? Remember him? Eighty nine. Yeah. Fifteen uh, in two thousand and fifteen. Doug Baldwin had fourteen touchdowns. So the point being that DK Metcalf is going at a pace to break the season records of both. Steve Largent and Doug Baldwin in the same year, his second season as a Seattle Seahawk. How about that? Yeah, so when he misses a block yeah. that stands out, yeah. a play that would have been an yeah. easy walk-in touchdown, yeah. we give him a little slack. Is that kind of why you, <laughs> why you put these numbers together? No, I'm just saying it's just an amazing year. 
It is a crazy He's year. He's turning into an absolute superstar stud in front of our eyes, and they know it on network television. They know it everywhere you turn. Everywhere you turn, there's something about DK Metcalf. The defense everywhere you turn for the for the um, uh, for the Eagles is that Jim Schwartz. Is he still there? I don't think. Is he still there? Maybe he is. Is there a Jim Schwartz? Of course. He was the head coach of the Lions. Yes, of course. Yeah, he's the. Before the game, this is what DK says now. Before the game, he came up to DK and said, essentially, "You're you're pretty good, but you're you're no Megatron yet, or something like that." That really pissed DK off. So he had that in his head the whole time. Like, are you really going to come up to me and say that? Like, you know, you're having a good year, but you're never Megatron, or you're not Megatron well, yet. Well, take a look at what Megatron did. Let's not put DK Metcalf in that class yet. He's got to still. Well, that's what Jim was saying, but that's keep fine. it to yourself. I mean, Jesus, this guy's trying to get ready for a game. Keep it to yourself. And then he goes off oh, on you dear. for 177 yards. I'm going to skip the next point. We've already talked about Jamal Adams. I hate to even bring this up because it's the kiss of death, but Jason Myers is kicking the ball, kicking the hell out of the ball right now, isn't he? Oh, I've thought Makes that everything. for two years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I told you last year he's a hell of a kicker, and you fought me every week Sniff. on it. Sniff. Uh, yeah, he's, Looks he hasn't missed a field goal. I shouldn't, I shouldn't even be talking about well, it. I should edit this out. No, no, don't do that. It's fine. Um, he's missed a couple extra points though. At one. One. Okay. David Moore on punt returns. Okay. Anybody seen enough? Raise your hand. If you're listening to this podcast, if you've seen enough of David Moore on punt returns, they had another guy. I wish I could remember his name, a young guy. And he looked so fast. Reed. It was Reed, yeah. Yeah. That guy looked like he could fly. Is that his name? Is that his name, Reed? Yeah. I think it is. Junior something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get it in like 40 minutes. We'll end up having it. 29, yeah. Let's let him do it. Well, he did it at the second half of the game. He did did it. Okay, good, yeah. But I mean, like, this. I I think, yeah, I think we're good. What's going on with David Moore on punt returns? I I wonder. Is he he a computer with like a 12-year-old processor? (laughs) I mean, is he? Look at you with a tech joke. Well... (laughs) Is he not? Does he not catch the ball and then think about it for about fifteen minutes before he decides to make where he's going? Or am I am I, am I the only one who sees that? No, he he, he, he does. catches the ball and then he stands there for a few seconds and he lets the. I, I don't I don't I, I understand a little stutter step and a little pause, a little hesitation. Sure, he just seems like he's in complete slow motion, like he's he's playing at a different speed as everybody else. I'm done with David Moore on punt returns. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I've, I've noticed it more on punt returns more than when he catches it, although he did have that one catch on third down where if he just would have kept going. Well, he had the touchdown catch too. Yeah, but he looked great on the – that's the thing. He looks Look great fine. on the touchdown I'm, I'm just talking punt returns. Yeah, punt returns, look. it looks weird. And a little bit on the end around, the little, the little toss end around that he comes around, they toss it to him. Yeah. He just seems sluggish to me, like hmm. he's running in quicksand, I, I, or that he's taking time to figure it all out. Maybe it was the ten days off. I don't know. He's a little sluggish. No, yeah. I've seen this before. Oh, okay, so it's not the yeah, first I've game seen you've this seen before. it. Anyway, speaking of receivers, yeah, I hate to say this now, is Tyler Lockett a little overrated? No, he's not. No, okay. I just feel like he can't get open against bigger corners. I don't know. He was so hot early in the year. It just feels like he's just constantly. Well, he, had, he had two games against the Cardinals where he caught twenty-five balls. Well, he caught Total. 15 and I think 9. 14 and 11, I thought it was. No, 14 and 9, 15 and 9? It was 15 and 9. Okay. Because I, I looked because I yeah. was like, he yeah. had one game yeah. where he's had double-digit catches. And I don't know. I just He got so hot, but now he just seems like he's not really around. He has trouble getting open. I don't know. It's just wondering if you think that at all, that he's no, overrated. No, I don't. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I don't, not. I don't think he's overrated at all. I guess we'd have to start the conversation with, well, what, what's the rating on him? What do people when they look at Tyler Lockett? They see they say he's a good receiver. He's a very good yeah. receiver. He's a pro bullish guy. 
I think he's a fine receiver. I don't okay. think he's one of the best. I don't think he's DK Metcalf. I don't think he's one of the best receivers in the league, but I don't think he's overrated at all. Yeah, I, I don't, to me, to me, that, I'm just one one person's opinion. I don't know that I agree with that. I was just curious what you thought because I've seen that a little bit, and I'm starting to kind of think mm, maybe he is a little overrated. Really? Yeah, a little bit. He'll disappear for long stretches of time. He does have he does have big chunk games, yeah. and then he disappears. You're yeah. like, what, is yeah. he on the team still? Or yeah, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know. All right. I, I don't think he's overrated. Okay. And my last point of the of the, I, I've saved my best for last. It's not my best, but. <laughs> Had Chris Carson. How, how does it feel to have Chris Carson back in the fold? I tweeted that same thing out. Happy to have him back or no? Yeah, I know. God, but, how do you look on the touchdown run? Like a grown man playing with 14-year-olds trying to tackle him? Yeah. How much better are they offensively when he's a threat? And he, I, I get the sense that he's not even 100% because they didn't play him all that much. They played a lot of Carlos Hyde. They took him out for series after series. In fact, at one point, I thought maybe he'd re-hurt, he re-injured himself. But boy, oh boy, when he's running and catching the ball out of the backfield and a part of that offense on a regular basis, oh, they are so much better. Well, what about they the are first... so much better they with are. him? No question, so much better. The first two plays were passes to him. One got called back. Yeah, but those are great. Yeah, he gets a quick eight, nine yards. Why he's... can't we just use God, him? I more love like that. that guy. I, I just love that guy. I'm with you. No, I'm, I'm a believer. Somebody's going to pay him not a ton of money, but a good chunk for a running back. And get themselves a pretty good deal because I think you get good deals on running backs these days, unless you're unless you're Dalvin Cook or somebody like that. Yeah. That guy, I love that guy. I just love that guy. <laughs> I know you do. I love that his- guy. I love what he adds. I love his tenacity. I love the feel of the offense when he's in there. I yep. just think, I think that uh, man, they should put him in bubble wrap and make sure he's available when the game when the chips are really down this season and the chips are about to be really down this season. He's one of the great foot planters of all time. I mean, he plants his foot and gets Goes. downhill. And right? that touchdown run when he those extra 2 or 3 yards to just ferociously get yep. into the end zone. Yep, great. It feeds us on a Tuesday. It sure does. Yes, as a matter. Because of I'm here to tell you. <laughs> That with those extra two or three yards and with the, that supreme effort, I am going to be, and I'm going to be thinking of him on every bite. And it takes me about three bites. Okay. Four bites to do a taco. Right. I don't know how long it takes you to, how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop. Taco Time Northwest, all locations, Tuesday. I guess you'll be listening to this on a Tuesday. Maybe it'll be too late by the time you're listening. I will be on Tuesday at a Taco Time location enjoying my buy one, get one free taco because of Chris Carson's rumbling, stumbling, and bumbling into the end zone for the Seattle Seahawks. And remember, every rushing touchdown this year gets you a buy one, get one free at all Taco Time locations. So join me on a Tuesday. I hope you'll, you'll, you'll think about it. You'll this consider is, it. This is not me trying to crap on a backup lineman because he's doing yeah. the best he can, but yeah. Cedric... Ogbuwehi, I don't know how to say yeah, his last he name. started at right tackle. Yeah, I think he sort of either didn't know or sort of forgot how Chris Carson runs because I saw Chris Carson run into him a couple times. <laughs> like, dude, I'm still running here. Like, what are you giving up for? I saw that at, l- at least two times. It may have really? happened more. I mean, really, dude, you gotta you gotta know keep, who you're. Keep blocking, man. Yeah, exactly. Stay on your guy because this Chris Carson, he'll keep it going. Don't give up. He's just probably you know for the past past five weeks seen Homer. I will say, if you said to me. Give me one negative about the game, about the Seahawks' performance on Monday night. Okay. I think there's a few. I think there's a few negatives. I think the biggest one for me is I thought that the Eagles' defensive line won the battle in the trenches mm-hmm. against the Seahawks' offensive line. I don't think that they they 
They opened up too many gashing holes, gaping holes, I should say. I don't think they protected Russell Wilson particularly well, even though he was only sacked twice. There were some quick hitting passes where the Eagles were getting in on him, especially early in the game. The Eagles' defense was, were, you know, the front four. Yeah. Of the so I would say it was not the finest hour for the Seahawks' offensive line. That would be my biggest gripe uh, of any gripes on Monday night. Like the, uh, I'm not supposed to gripe after they win, but that would be my – if you allowed me to gripe a little bit, it would be that and the non-grounding call before the first half ended oh. – from Carson Wentz. Wait, before you get into that, I want to make sure I understand. So you feel like the offensive line is regressed maybe a little bit from how no. they looked earlier in the year? No, I don't get I don't get too uptight about it because I want to wait to see them all in there. Remember, they didn't have Posick for two or three games. Yeah. Now they don't have Shell. So I'm not really all that concerned. And they're winning football games, which is all that matters. So No, no, no. I'm not concerned about the offensive line because I think in total, from year to year, they've been much better, especially in pass protection than they were last year. I'm just saying that on that Monday night with that right tackle that you're talking about yeah. and that Philadelphia Eagle front four, I thought the Eagles front four won that battle on Monday night. Okay. That, that's all. I'm just pointing it out. Okay. I'm not concerned yet. I'm not concerned. Yet. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Now. You had a gripe about that. <laughs> I have two more gripes after that, but. Yeah. Uh, are you going to talk to me about what, refs? I mean, what's there left to be? It's not about the refs. I don't even have a gripe about the refs. Really? No. I have a gripe about the system. I have a gripe about the system. I mean, we do have the black line and we have replay and we're watching on TV where we've got a camera that's up and they're on the grounds. I get it. And you're going to say, how do they miss that call when a, a billion people around the country saw it and they don't see it? I think it's different when you're watching on TV. But come on. Why can't we review that that call? That is a huge play. That got them a touchdown. They got a touchdown out of, drive, as yeah. a result of that drive. You're telling me that we have replay system to check every little thing, just about every little thing, and something as cut and dry, as non-gray, as did a ball get to the line of scrimmage or not? Right. This is not inches we're talking about here. This is not a. This is not some sort of a, a you know a, a close call. Either it did or it didn't. Right. You're telling me we can't look at that? I mean, remember that's gr- intentional grounding. It's it's spot. It's at the spot of the foul. Right. It's it's a it's a loss of down spot right. of the that's foul. Exactly the right. series the, the the possession is over for all intents and purposes. Yeah. You're telling it was me a bad snap. So oh yeah, my god, he's, way he's back twenty there. yards back. <laughs> right. there. You're telling me Ugh. that we've got replay. In, in, in effect, in the NFL, and we're not allowed to review whether a ball either did or didn't get to the line of scrimmage? Come on. Come on, man. Yeah. Then right. let's not have replay. I mean, if we can't replay that, right. then what, what should we replay? It made it That's worse. my gripe. It made it worse that the, the, the ball boy on the side actually caught the ball from Carson Wentz. He's literally in front of the, the orange marker, and it comes right to him. It wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. Yeah. And it was the difference between a game at the half and a non-game at the half. That game, right, yeah. that game felt like it was over before they scored that touchdown. I almost felt sorry for Carson Wentz when it went over his head. I'm like, well, this has been his this, this kind of year it's going for him. I thought the Seahawks are going to recover. It's just going to be a disaster, you know. It's some point game at half for whatever, the eight-point game. Like, Jesus. Yeah. But I've always said, and I don't. No one oh, has an answer my for God. me. Why can't there be Dad sitting in the press box, a ref or a, a little group of two or three to just call down to the guys on the field? Hey, you missed it. You just you missed the call. You missed it. That is grounding. Why? Why can't there be one guy up there, but Mike Pereira or whoever? Some some. Why? Why? Why can't they use the tech that we have on our couches? Well, they do, but it's not. 
it's not provoked that way. They don't use it effectively. Well, they use it effectively, but they have they have they have way the only ways. Well, that was that might have been inside of two minutes, so it would have been up to them to do it. But they, they but they've said that that's not a reviewable situation. Right. They have to out they have to outline in the rules what that guy that big brother. To me, that's not the story because. Okay, you're, you're saying you don't like the system where the coaches have to challenge. You're saying right. throw away the coaches' challenge. Just have a guy up there. Just get it and, right. And, and when they see a mistake, radio down That's and right. say you made a mistake. Get That's right. what you're saying. Yep. But at some point, they still have to outline what that guy up there is allowed to look at. And unless they just say he's allowed to look at everything, yeah. anything he wants, he's allowed to look at. If they don't say that, then the system, that system, if this isn't in the rule book, you know, intentional grounding is not going to change anything. If he can't look at intentional grounding, he can't look. He can't look at it. The coaches can't challenge it. It's not going to change anything if he changes the system. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, but what if he can look at everything? Just get the calls. Well, right. then Just people watch the would say, like we do. Well, then people would say the, those. If, if it's one guy up there and he can stop every play, you know, where does he draw the line? Okay. When, when do the games not? The games will be five hours long. They say there's holding on every play. I yeah, guess. I mean, so. are, are you are you including that? I mean, at some point you have to decide. How much of a part of re, of the game replay is okay? And they they try that they tinker with it every year. They last year they decided they wanted to include pass interference right. calls, and they did away with that now. So it's not this year. After that Saints whatever. Call. I'm just saying, hey, this is very simple. Yeah, this is a black and white replay deal. Did the ball get to the line of scrimmage or not? And if it didn't, it is it is intentional grounding, and that possession is over. It changed. The whole context of the game, the whole right. complexion of the game for about 15 or 20 minutes. We were all sitting here at halftime going, God, how is this game that close? <laughs> it's a touchdown game. It was, it was all because of that miss. Yeah. And that just can't be. No, anyway, you've right. got two other things just and then we'll, we'll do other stuff. Did it feel like the Seahawks offense was unnecessarily elaborate in the first half? Like before they got their touchdown? I don't know if elaborate's the right word because an end around isn't necessarily an elaborate play. But like they were almost being a little too cute. I no, didn't think so. You didn't feel that? No. I'm curious if anyone I, else did. I, I think at a, a, against a team like that who's got a pretty good sound defense, I think if you line up and you say, okay, we're going to run it at you, then we're going to throw on third down, and you do that, I, I think you get yourself in trouble. So I thought that they opened it up appropriately. Okay. I thought they threw it appropriately. I just didn't think that they protected very well in those first few possessions. Of course, they went for it on fourth down after the 13 or 14 play drive. That didn't work out. Right. And so I think that they couldn't get out of their own way on big mom- in big moments, and they were playing a pre- – I didn't think that they were too cute. No. Okay. No. It felt a little – like too many moving parts. It's fourth and two. Maybe just give it to the Chris Carson guy and see what happens. Well, yeah. Now you want me to question that play call? Where I feel they like could... there was more than just that one play is what I'm feeling. I don't know. Maybe someone else will say I'm crazy okay. out there, but I'm just curious yeah. if anyone else. I don't it. think you're crazy. I thought the play call was questionable because okay. they took the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands. Yeah. On the end around to David Moore, right? Who took an hour to get where he had to go? And DK but... misses block and the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the worst part of the entire night. And you... Yeah, someone needs to explain this. To the me. worst part of the entire night. Yes, without question. Yes. Why the hell were they showing Bo Jackson highlights when he's not? It was his birthday. It was his. Oh, that makes sense then. Thank you. I, I they said happy birthday to him on the telecast. Okay, you have to show that. He's got plenty of good plays. You got to show him with 80 yards of Kenny Easley trying to catch him. And then you got him in the ball. It's like, come on, of all the plays. Okay. That was on Monday Night Football. Right. Okay, fine. That was maybe the signature play of his career. It was against a Seahawks team. It was against a team that was playing on this particular Monday night. Said plenty I think, of good I think, plays. I think you're, you're, you're bending over backwards to give Steve Levy and Roy <laughs> Billups or whatever the guy's name is. Steve Levy. Steve Levy. Steve Levy, I mean. he doesn't like music, you know. 
He wouldn't, he wouldn't like the Phil Collins thing. I don't know. I told you our buddy Rob Tepper asked him. And he, he's like, no, I don't, I, I don't like music. Rob's like, wait, you don't like a certain kind? No, I, I, just, I don't like music. I don't have any CDs. No, I'm nothing. Doesn't like music. If I only had a nickel for like every time somebody asked me if he was my relative. Oh, yeah, I know, I'm sure. <laughs> over the last 30 years. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> Answer's no. All right. Uh, anything else? That's it, sir. Three good interviews. We'll get Brady Henderson in here. Very good uh, segment with Rick Neuheisel. And a guy that I think will become, if not your favorite, your top three interviews in Mitch Unfiltered history. Stay for it. You just got to stay for it. He's the last interview, and it starts a little bit slow, but it heats up in a just Larry Ratso Sloman. Ratso. Okay. Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered, a great partner. And still, Jordan, an incredible time to look at purchasing, look at refinancing, because the numbers remain so low, and it looks like they're going to remain low for a long time. Yeah, it's great to be back on, Mitch. Thanks for having me back. Rates are incredibly low still for purchases and refis. They're still in the high twos right now with everything going on, and they're going to be staying low for uh, the foreseeable future. So what's the rule of thumb? You've got a listener here listening to Jordan Flowers, hearing Jordan Flowers from time to time on the podcast and wondering if it's best to pick up the phone and call him or some other mortgage person, what numbers do they need to see on their 30-year fix that would encourage them to at least consider a refinance? Yeah, I'd say still looking at 3.253375 or above is uh, at least warrants a phone call, depending on how long you've been in that mortgage. Maybe we can cut off five to seven years or just lower the interest rate with the same payoff term or look at other options as far as a new 30-year fix or pulling cash out to do some uh, home renovations or take care of some things you've been thinking about needing to do. So anything that's about three and a quarter, three, three, seven, five or higher. I think the common misconception uh, in the business is, oh, I've got to start all over. The clock goes back to zero and 30 years starts all over. That's not necessarily the case. There are a million ways to do this, including a common one, which keeps you right where you are in your mortgage. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a common thought. And a lot of companies do just have kind of your standard 20 or 30 or 15 year options. Uh, We do kind of customize that 30 year option where we can set it to any term of months, however far into your payment you are, we can set it at 21 and a half months, 22 months, 27 months, or 27 years, whatever they're needing, we can look at. So I want to go about the business of checking into this. How long is the phone call with you and what kind of information do I need to have ready that you're going to ask me about? Yeah, if you call in, it's probably five to seven minutes. If you've got your mortgage statement, most recent statement available, that has all the information on it for us to run some quick numbers and see if it makes sense to move forward and get a little more detailed than application in. And the phone number I call? Cell phone's 425-890-2957. Office line is 425-250-3145. An opportunity for a lot of us to save a lot of money every single month with a five to seven minute phone call he has compiled a great team jordan flowers as it's the kirkland office of gill mortgage unfiltered we'll see 11 minutes to play in the half rush to throw for it and it is caught touchdown david moore for seattle from the 16 Try it on the ground. Chris Carson picking and choosing his way. Trying to stay on his feet and he'll get there. 
came here and they handled their business. This was not a great offense by any stretch, but they did what they needed to do to get the win. Defense will get better when Quentin Dunbar does return. Defense did a fantastic job all night long, really started fast, stayed with it. We were in control, and, and it was great to see our guys play like that and play consistently. A lot of corrections, a lot of things fixed during the game, a lot of great communication. We've taken a real nice step forward, and I'm, I'm hoping that we can just keep building on it. We're all going to taco time on Tuesday for our buy one, get one free crisp taco. Thanks to that spectacular touchdown run from Chris Carson. Taco Time Northwest and the Taco Time Northwest app brings you our weekly chat with Brady Henderson. And Brady, maybe we should start right there. 32. I know the numbers were not gaudy on Monday night, the running numbers from him or the overall running situation. But it just, boy, they look different when 32 is getting the ball from time to time and running with that physical presence and that physical style. Yeah, that was a, pardon my French here, Mitch, but that was a grown-ass touchdown run that he had <laughs> on the 16-yard. Is that a technical yard... term? Is that a technical term? <laughs> I think it might be like a scouting term, yeah, but that was that's exactly what that was. And, you know, you see, you see some of that from Carlos Hyde, too. You just really don't see that. I feel like I bash the other two running backs on this team every week, and I don't mean to, but the reality is that's not their style, and the Seahawks were missing that style in the three games that they played without Hyde and Carson. They've got both those guys back and you really felt that you started to feel it in that Arizona game last week with Hyde when he was running through people and you really felt it on Monday night especially on that touchdown run and I think that you're going to see more running the ball uh, over the final five games just because they have they have their two primary threats back well you've got the numbers on that from Monday night now I would contend that there's a few things in play here you got your running backs back that's one Number two, you're playing an opponent that really, behind closed doors, you would never say this in the media, behind closed doors, you, you figure you, you've outmanned them. You've, you've got a better team. You've got a superior team. So why should we put the ball up and put the, put the game in risk? So I think there's a, a number of, of factors in play, but you're going to tell us that the last couple of weeks, they're running it kind of the way they did the last few years, right? Yeah, they were they dropped back to pass more than any other team over the first 10 weeks of the season. And since then, they've they've started to kind of trend back towards what you saw, maybe not all the way of what you saw over the last two seasons when they ranked 31st uh, from 2018 to 2019 in drop back rate. They're kind of getting back towards that number over the last two weeks and yeah, you're right. Certainly in a game against the Eagles, a team that's not very good, you don't really need to throw the ball all over the field and it certainly helps when you have Carlos Hyde back in addition to Chris Carson and I think there's also the fact that this is late November you're getting into towards the final part of the season where you're just going to want to run the ball more in general because the conditions are going to dictate that but you know even in that game last week against Arizona that was a good Arizona team and they still leaned heavily on their running game and just to clarify people are going to hear this and they're going to say well what are you talking about they leaned on the running game when Russell dropped back to pass you know 28 times look this is all relative you know when when we talk about run heavy offenses that's relative to what is a very pass heavy happy NFL and so the team with the lowest drop back rate that's that drop back rate is still over 50% so this, this is all relative here uh, but you saw it 57.4% uh, Monday night against Philadelphia that was okay. 19th in the NFL for week 12 and so I think you're going to see more of that over the final five games Brady Henderson is the Seahawks insider for ESPN and ESPN.com they got some people back they got Posick back they got Shaq back they got Carson back 
They didn't have their right tackle. I think that hurt. I don't think that they won the battle at the line of scrimmage, their offensive line against the Eagles' uh, front four. Maybe you would disagree with that. How'd they come out of the game injury-wise? I heard that Carlos Dunlap was hurt on Monday night. That was the only injury that we heard about post-game. And Pete Carroll said that he had a foot injury of unknown severity. He didn't know exactly what it was. He, he called it a foot sprain, and then he kind of backed off of that. So that's one of those deals where we're going to have to wait f- to get more clarification on that uh, when next time we hear from Pete Carroll. But we also saw Jaron Reed leave the game. I th- believe I saw him come back into it, so it didn't sound like that was anything uh, serious. But the Dunlap foot injury, Obviously, given how big of an impact he's made on their defensive line, that's something that is going to bear watching for the rest of this week. There's no question it was another good game for the Seahawks' defense. They gave up something like 250 yards total, I think, to the Eagles now. Of course, the pundits all week are going to say, how much did the Eagles' offense contribute to the good night on Monday for the Seahawks' defense? But I've got some numbers for you. You always throw numbers at me. I'll throw some numbers at you. Let's hear them. They had six sacks and 12 quarterback hits officially on Monday night. When you throw that in with three sacks and seven hits against the Cardinals, three sacks and five hits against the Rams, seven sacks and 11 hits against the Bills, and three sacks and eight hits against the Niners, that's 22 sacks in the last five games and 43 quarterback hits. Now, I don't know what they did leading up to those five games, but I can guess that it wasn't as good as those last five games. They are clearly, whether it's a scheme, whether it's Carlos Dunlap, whether it's everybody stepping up their game, whether it's poor offensive line play on the other side, I don't know what the answers are, but they are clearly getting much better pressure in the last month than they did all the way up to that point. Yeah, and since I'm the real numbers guy between the two of us, it was actually <laughs> nine sacks. It was nine sacks in six games, and, and as bad as we all thought that pass rush was last season when they finished with only 28 sacks, I mean, they were on pace for a lot fewer than that, and they really have taken a turn. It's been, it's been a 180, really. They're, that's the best way to put it. And I think the most encouraging part is during that early in that stretch when their pass rush was really coming alive, it was in large part because they were blitzing more than any team in the NFL. And they just decided, you know, it's really not something that they've done a, a lot of under Pete Carroll, but they said to hell with it. They, they had to do something to ignite that pass rush. And over the last few weeks, you've seen them dial that back because they haven't had to, because their front four is getting pressure. And I, I don't, I haven't looked at the game uh, again to see exactly how they got those sacks. But in general, you're seeing defensive linemen, Carlos side primarily, but also other guys. You know, Rasheem Green uh, had a sack Monday night. Jaron Reed has been playing well. You're seeing guys finally start to win matchups, and and they just don't. They have not had to blitz as much, and the, the yeah. blitz percentage uh, Monday night was, as I'm looking at it right now, I think it was 35.2. I mean, they were up over 50 percent, or right around 50 percent at the height of all that blitzing they were doing, and. That's great when you're getting to the quarterback, but as we all know, it leaves the back end of your defense pretty vulnerable, and that's a back end of a defense that has enough challenges on its own. So the less blitzing they have to do, the better, and they haven't had to do as much of it over the last few games. Brady, another guy who had a sack on Monday night was Jamal Adams. That's how many for him, and uh, you, you told me before we started to record that he might be approaching an NFL record in terms of sacks. 
Yeah, that's 6.5 sacks for him. And remember, he missed four games, and that ties his career high from last season. And according to our wonderful stats department at ESPN, since 1982, the most sacks by a DB in a single season is Adrian Wilson. He had eight in 2005, and then Roman Harper had seven and a half in 2011. Dave Dewerson of the Bears had seven in 1986. So you're talking about um, at least you know going back a, a very long time, 40 years, uh, almost 40 years. Uh, you're talking about one of the the most prolific, you know, sack guys in terms of a DB. And again, he's still got he's still got time to get that record. And at this rate, as much as they are blitzing him, I, eight 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 sacks or eight and a half sacks to break that record, that seems very much in reach. Did I hear through the grapevine that there was some uh, jabbing <laughs> between Jamal Adams and prominent member of the Seahawks no table, Joe Fan? Did I hear there were some? Uh, some back and forth between the two after the game on Monday night? Yeah, well, there's three members of the Seahawks no table, and it wasn't me, and it wasn't <laughs> you. So that leaves that leaves Joe Fan. Yeah, I, I believe if I if my memory is correct, Adams was answering questions, and then uh, I think it was unprompted. He asked Joe if there if Joe had any questions about his pass coverage, and Joe. Uh, you know, last time we talked to Jamal earlier in the week, <laughs> Joe asked a, a very innocuous question, as innocuous as it gets. He's asked him, Jamal, you know, how would you describe, uh, how would you assess your pass coverage this season? And Adam seemed to take that as a slight, and, and maybe he was projecting some of what he's heard elsewhere onto Joe. And it sounds like Adams is aware of this notion that he's he struggles in pass coverage, and he is even. Um, you know, he, he mentioned that earlier in the season saying that, you know, that was that was what he was hearing from the people that he knows with the Cowboys. And so th- this is something that seems to be on Adam's mind. It's something that uh, seems to be bothering him. Now, d- it, it's important to, to make note that he was doing this in a lighthearted way. Uh, but he gave Joe he, he was going back and forth with Joe for uh, what, <laughs> what felt like a very long time. I'm sure Joe had probably felt like. 10 minutes to Joe. <laughs> it wasn't Bayheim Levy now, was it? Oh, yeah. He, he had a smile on his face. Okay. Joe handled it okay. like a pro, too, okay. so All it right. was fun. Well, that would be the first time Joe would handle something like a pro. Anyway, <laughs> uh, DK Metcalf's having a, having a year. There's just no question. I find myself asking you about him each and every week on this little segment that we do that's brought to you by Taco Time and the Taco Time Northwest app. Remember to order ahead. Uh, plain and simply, I went over with the numbers with, uh, with Hotshot Scott in our first segment. He's on pace to have the best by far, the best overall year by a Seahawks wide receiver in team history. I think I'm doing this based on memory. Steve Largent at 1,200 yards. DK's on a pace for 1,500 yards. I think the best touchdown receiving was Doug Baldwin a few years ago, 14. I think that DK's on a pace for 13 or 14. So this is a all-time Seahawks wide receiving season. And the, the drop notwithstanding, they came right out of the gate. He had already had a good game against them in the playoffs. That was well chronicled last year. Boy, they, they fed him early and often. They were not worried about this guy, Slay, that was trying to uh, drag him around. No, they were not. And that's what you've seen a handful of times now when an opposing defense has matched up its number one cornerback against DK Metcalf. Now, he certainly has not won every single one of those. You know, Patrick Peterson got the best of him, I believe, in that first meeting against Arizona. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, uh, I think, in that, uh, or no, I'm, I'm sorry, it wasn't Jalen Ramsey. Another cornerback yeah. had a good. Jalen Ramsey had a great yeah, game. Yeah, maybe it, yeah. it was. Yeah, it was Ramsey. Okay. But Metcalf has won more than 
his share of those matchups, and he certainly got the better of Darius Slay in this one. And 177 yards, a new career high. Remember, this was the same place that he had, uh, you know, same building that he had 160 yards in the playoffs last season to set the rookie uh, playoff record. And afterwards, he was asked about that, just about two straight, you know, really strong games against the same team, against you know, in the same city, and. He made the point that the Eagles were one of several teams to pass on him uh, in favor of another wide receiver last year. And, Ouch. you know, I, a lot of times, Mitch, I, the whole idea of, you know, players using the, you know, draft day slide and the slights there as motivation, that, that's kind of become a tired storyline in my mind. But I think it's actually an interesting one with Metcalf because there was eight teams, eight teams that, that took a wide receiver not named DK Metcalf before the Seahawks chose him with the first, uh, with the final pick in the second round. And, right. you know, JJ Arcega Whiteside was the receiver that Philadelphia took. I believe he has all of 12 career catches. Um, and it's just, it's hard. The, the more you see DK Metcalf do things like what he did Monday night and what he's done all season, the harder it is to fathom that he fell as far as he did in the draft. All right, overall, before we end, just an overall comment about their performance on Monday night. I think I said this to you before we started recording. My, my personal opinion is they're playing pretty much four tomato cans in a row. We know that. It's been well chronicled. So let's not overanalyze the actual games. What they've got to do is go out in a businessman kind of approach and just take care of business. Beat all four of them. Try not to get too injured in the process and then be 11-3 and three going into the Rams and Niners games to end the season. And let's not try to figure out if we've learned anything from these particular games. Is that the right approach or am I being naive in some sense? I think you can you can look at individual aspects of their game. The pass rush, you know, that's that was at, at least at one time a pretty good Eagles offensive line. I know they were missing some key pieces, but I think you can look at the pass rush, especially if it's a trend, you know, that they were doing the same thing against other teams. You can look at the pass rush. I think you can also look at what we talked about at the start of the segment, the fact that they're leaning more on their running game because that's not, you know, that that is still a, a pretty good, you know, Eagles front four. Uh, not that they had the most success against them uh, in that game Monday night, but that's that still is a trend, and regardless of you know how good or bad the opponent is, that's a trend, and I think you're going to see more of that for the rest of the season. Now, you know, the defensive resurgence, if you want to call it, I know some people might, you know, take exception to that term because this was such a bad offense in Philadelphia, but guess what? The next three teams that they're going to face are equally if bad, if not worse. The Giants, who may be without Daniel Jones, uh, the Washington football team, the Jets, who have not won a game, and there's talk of maybe benching, or at least the questions that the coach is facing of maybe benching Sam Darnold. And so, um, you know, whether they truly turned a corner or not on defense, they were always going to get help by their, you know, schedule over, um, you know, these these next four games or now these next three games. And so, um I guess we'll have a better idea in week 16 against the Rams, whether or not it's, it's really real what they've done on defense, but they certainly have uh, a pretty good opportunity to make hay until then. Well, Mr. Playoff says if the season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about, your Seattle Seahawks, not your Brady, because I know you're a member of the media. You don't have not mine. A, you're not a your team anymore. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks would be the number two seed by virtue of just a few percentage points in strength of victory over the Green Bay Packers. They'd be the number two seed. They're chasing the Saints. 
Now, the Saints uh, is an issue. The Saints are going to be an issue for the Seahawks to win a tiebreaker with unless somebody out of the woodworks like the Falcons this coming Sunday can uh, jump up and bite the Saints. It's got to be an NFC team for the Seahawks to win a, a tiebreaker with the Saints at the end of the year. But we have a lot of time for that. We've got plenty of time for that. We don't have to do – I don't know why you're insisting, Brady, that we do that tonight. We don't have to do that. On <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, Brady Henderson, follow him on Twitter. He does a great job. He, he brings home the stories every day of the Seattle Seahawks, and he's good to us on Mitch Unfiltered. The next time we're going to hear from him is uh, – I, I, got, I got bad news for you. The two of us got, got handed, it, handed it to us on the KP this week. Do you know that? Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he had 24. Fan, the guy who thinks that Jamal Adams can't cover anybody, he got <laughs> he he had 24-13, and you had 28-20, and I had 30-20. So uh, he wins a KP, a rare KP for Fan on the Seahawks no table. I'm gonna I'm gonna crunch the numbers and audit that math just to make sure that I did not in fact win this one. But if if you say so, then I'll. Uh, well, I'm not going to trust you. Uh, we'll have a uh, we'll have a Seahawks note table for the patrons this week. It's a it's a fun show with Fan and Henderson and Mitch and a guest from the opposing team city. I guess it'll be somebody that covers the Giants this week. Hey, hey, Brady, thank you very much. Great to to hear your voice again, and uh, we'll talk to you during the week as the Seahawks improve to eight and three. Thank you. All right, Mitch. Always a pleasure. Thank you. My guy, Brady Henderson, ESPN.com insider and prominent member of our fun weekly Seahawks no table for the patrons on another primetime victory for the Seahawks in Philadelphia. Now eight and three top spot in the West and trying to keep close with the Saints for the number one seed in the NFC playoffs. Evergreen CEO Tyler Hay is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. Great partner. When you think of a financial advisory firm, Tyler, stocks and bonds advice and investments immediately come to everybody's mind. But Evergreen does for clients, it goes way beyond that, right? Talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, I think when people think about wealth management or a financial advisor, they think about stocks and bonds and those types of things. But really, that's kind of in the ninth inning. You know, people have a lot of life events that lead up to the point where they have wealth that needs to be managed. So whether they're going through a divorce, whether they're selling a business, whether they're considering selling a business, whether they're inheriting money, there's a whole bunch of life events that go on prior to actually managing the money. And we help people navigate those challenges far before they're actually, the money's in their hands. Tax accounting and prep is now a layer also of Evergreen Golf Call, correct? Correct, Mitch. On July 1st, we closed on Sterling Cooter, so we now have a tax advisory component to our firm, so clients don't have to play quarterback in between their financial advisor and their CPA and making sure all the documents go back and forth. We just handle it for them. So for Mitch Unfiltered listeners to find out more about Evergreen Golf Call, they've heard about you for years now on our on our podcast. Start with the website. Start with the newsletter. Yeah, they can go to the website and read the newsletter. That gives them a little bit of uh, insight into how we think. And then there's also a, a client uh, compatibility survey that, that kind of helps us identify who might be a good fit for us. Evergreen Golf Call and Tyler Hay and the whole crew with offices along the West Coast. It's terrific to have them be a partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Tyson! And Mike Tyson! 
explodes and delivers a left to the body and the left hook upstairs. And Roy Jones Jr., though coming forward, remains oh, oh, just blocked to sum it up. Get him. Oh, and there's a double left hook by Tyson. But it's Tyson who appears to have those keys to victory. 40 seconds and again, battering the body. Quit on his stool nearly three years after Roy Jones Jr. extended his win streak to four years. They are going to go the distance to the temporary expectations. The exhibition is over. Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. giving us 16 minutes. I'm just happy I got this under my belt and I'm continuing to go further and do more. You'll do this again? Absolutely. He's going to be on the card as well. So the most compelling fighter and maybe athlete of our lifetime returned to the ring over the weekend in his mid-50s, for goodness sakes. Next up on this uh, episode 119 of Mitch Unfiltered, the man who collaborated with Mike Tyson on his autobiography, the colorful Larry Ratso Sloman, not to mention tons of other work. Hi, Larry. How are you? Good, good. How you doing, Mitch? We're, we're doing good. Ratso. Am I supposed to yes. call you Larry or am I supposed to call you Ratso? Which one would you like? You can call me uh, Larry or Ratso. Just don't call me late to dinner, as Kinky Friedman would say. But Ratso's fine, yes. Well, what, Ratso, what is Ratso? Well, I got my name from Joan Baez on the Rolling Thunder tour. My first book I toured with Dylan in 75, which was uh, the basis of Martin Scorsese's new documentary ah, on Netflix, ah. The Rolling Thunder Review. And... Uh, you know, I was covering it for Rolling Stone and at first, and you know, you're on the road and you're staying up late and you're driving long distances and you're taking substances and you don't <laughs> take a shower every night. And uh, so I drove up to where everybody was staying and Joan Baez comes over to my car and she leans in and she grabs my greasy hair and she goes, hey, it's Ratso. And I said, oh, you calling me Ratso because uh, I remind you of Dustin Hoffman from Midnight Cowboy, that famous film? Yeah. And she goes, no, I'm calling you Ratso because you look like Ratso Rizzo, who was the <laughs> character, who was this low-life character. And uh, it kind of stuck. It was a, a name that's memorable. People remember it. And uh, ever since that day in 1975, I've been Ratso. Unbelievable. Did you like yeah. it right away or did you did you fight well, it a little bit? No, I didn't fight it because he, uh, in the end, he's a very sympathetic character, Ratso, in, in that movie. And... Um, to me, it was a way to uh, kind of uh, differentiate myself. I, I, you know, I knew a lot of the people. I, Dylan had invited me on the tour. I knew Roger McGuinn. I knew most of the band beforehand. So, uh, it, you know, it it wasn't a case of that. But I, it's, it, it, you know, it was. Uh, it definitely was a, a, a memorable nickname. I've had a lot of nicknames in the past. Slowpoke, uh, you know, things like that. And Ratso, I, I liked it a lot better. I like Ratso. Tell us about Dylan before we get into Tyson. What was Dylan like to be around 24-7? Well, Dylan is, I mean, in my estimation, you know, uh, one of the greatest songwriters and, and, and writers in, in American history. I mean, uh, you know, uh, the fact that uh, he just came out with an album this year at 79 years old that might be his best album ever, wow. but certainly better than all the dreck that's coming out now. Um, so, you know, and he got a Nobel Prize very deservedly. I know a lot of people scoffed at him. Oh, you got a no, you know, he's a songwriter. He got a Nobel Prize. Dylan is one of the great, great, uh, you know, cultural figures. And he's also a really fun guy. I mean, uh, he, 
you know, uh, apart from the mystique, you know, which he cultivates very well. Right. But, uh, you know, you could, uh, you could just, uh, you know, first of all, that tour was very interesting, the Rolling Thunder tour, because it was a guerrilla-type tour. It wasn't, a, in a previous tour, he had been out on the road with the band, and it was the first time Dylan had performed live in years. And uh, they played stadiums, you know, they played hockey arenas, they went on a jet, they played, they went to the next city, they got off the jet, they got in a limo, they went to an exclusive hotel. This was nothing like that. The Rolling Thunder Review, everybody was uh, driving either, Dylan was driving a camper, there were two buses that followed him full of the other entertainers, yeah. uh, Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, Roger McGuinn, I mean, just a, a rambling Jack Elliott, just an incredible uh, array of musical talent. And uh, Dylan was very loose. And you, I, I would really recommend anybody who wants to get a sense of that incredible tour to uh, go to Netflix and watch the uh, Scorsese documentary, uh, partly because I'm in it a lot. But. <laughs> <laughs> Ratso, Ratso, you just talked about how Dylan's making an album or made an album in his late 70s. Uh, yes. That's a good segue because I'd like to know, as somebody who worked closely with Tyson on his autobiography, when you heard he was going to get back in the ring in his mid-50s, what did you feel at the time? And then you watched it on Saturday night. What did you think? Uh, give us your thoughts in retrospect. Um, when I was working with, and we did two books together. We did his autobiography, uh, and then we did a book about Customato, ah, uh, who, yeah, who was his, you know, the, his incredible trainer who, who saved his life. Right. So um, when we were doing those books, one of the things that was interesting to me was that, you know, Mike was working out, trying to stay in shape. I wouldn't say fanatically, but, you know, he would ride the bike and stuff like that for an hour a, a, a day. But he had never put on gloves since he retired in the ring. And it was a, if you remember, it was a very ignoble retirement. He he's, you know, basically sat in his corner and just quit. He says, I don't want to, you know, against a, a tomato can. He was so far from getting back into boxing uh, while we were working on the books for the last, you know, eight years or so. So I was a little bit surprised that I heard that he was going to, that he was in training again. And then I watched the videos and it was unbelievable. I mean, Mike is one of those kind of guys. I, you know, I work with a guy named David Blaine, the great sure. magician. Sure. Blaine, I did a book with him. So Blaine is another guy who it's all or nothing. I mean, if you're, you know, like between his great stunts, Blaine, put on 30 pounds, <laughs> he'd go to nightclubs all night long. And then when he had to get into that mode, that beast mode, he did it. And the same with Mike. Mike uh, just, you know, lost 100 pounds, and it, it was the fittest he's been, you know, since way back, you know, when he was, uh, uh, you know, when, when, almost when Cuss was alive. Yeah. Once Cuss died, Mike lost his rudder completely. And then he got involved with the, the two women, the, yeah, the, yeah. the mother and the daughter the yeah, team. Yeah. And uh, but uh, so I was uh, um, I was a little surprised, to tell you the truth. You know, Mike's really changed so much, you know, since the the arrogant days when he was, you know, when, you know, you're t yeah. 20 years old, you're the champion of the world. Yeah. You know, how else are you going to act? Right. 
right. you know, and with with Cuss not there to, to reprimand, him. right? right. <laughs> you know, he's not a. a a well-schooled guy. I mean, he, you know, he doesn't have academic degrees, but Mike's one of the smartest guys I've ever encountered. Yeah. And uh, he's self-taught, a voracious reader, knows not only boxing history, but knows world history. It was great to see him kind of, you know, dedicating this thing to a good cause. Two weeks before the fight, Mike shut down didn't do any interviews after that he you know he really went into that hermetic uh customato kind of mode you know in the last two weeks but prior to that you know he had been talking not for public consumption but it, it would slip out in some of the interviews that he was going to be serious about this even though it was an exhibition right and you could tell just the way he walked into the ring you know he had that same that same intimidating quality when he came into the ring against, you know, and he was the second person in the ring, of course, you know, Roy Jones Jr. was the first. You know, the first thing I noticed was Mike started out going to the body with some devastating punches. And that's why Roy Jones Jr. started clinching. <laughs> you know, he had enough after a couple of those body blows. He didn't want, and it was two-minute rounds, so they were basically... You know, he could clinch twice, and the referee—God bless him—but I mean, I don't know where he was. I mean, he would—he wouldn't—he would wait for thirty seconds to, to to you know separate them. Yeah. So you could clinch twice, and that would be the end of a round. <laughs> I mean, if you look at his last few fights, when he was completely, basically, going into the ring, high on coke or high on a pot, you know, he, he really had. You know, Definitely wasn't taking care of himself. Didn't give a shit, really. And, um, you know, I could see that he had, you know, the, the tradition of using somebody in his ear to tell him what Cuss would say. Larry, you know, it's interesting that you talk about the kind of the renaissance on Saturday night and how great shape he was in. You know, you go back to the end of his professional career, and I think it's safe to say that the world was worried about what he would become without boxing. What would Mike Tyson look like in middle age and beyond? And it seems like maybe he has exceeded our expectations in that regard in some in some ways. Well, at first, Mike let himself go completely. And, and you know, he was really uh, hooked on cocaine, uh, traveling around the world, uh, you know, at the behest of rich people. You know, he was almost like a, a performing monkey, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. it, it was sad to see him like that. And uh, one of the greatest things that happened to him is when he uh, hooked up with the, his wife, Kiki. And Kiki really, uh, she was the first person who really got him to go on an incredible diet. You know, he was up in the 300s. And uh, you could see pictures of him, you know, but she she did a great job getting him in, you know, just normal person shape again. But when we were doing the books together, I mean, uh, he would cheat. He would, you know, he would he loved this um, frozen yogurt store and we would go all the time <laughs> he, would, he would cheat with these frozen yogurts but he was trying to do good and uh, uh for this fight actually you know he he said on one of the interviews before the fight that he had taken a psychedelic 
uh, some kind of a, a frog water or some <laughs> some weird, you know, it wasn't psilocybin, but it was something like psilocybin. Yeah. And and he had a revelation to get back in shape. Oh. And uh, uh, and so you know, like I said, Mike is an extremist. But, Larry, yeah. how'd you how'd you get him to trust you when you went uh, through the book experience, the two books experiences, and and what were they like? What was it like to be around him all the time? Mike's one of the great. I I had so much fun doing those books. It wasn't easy because some of it was like pulling teeth, because uh, you know he had to. Uh, um, he had to become invested in the process. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons I got the job, well, it was my idea, I told my agent, but then I had to audition for the job uh, because uh, his ex-wife, Monica Turner, and his manager at the time were, uh, but the manager told me later, we knew we'd use you all along. But anyways, I went out to Hollywood, it came down to two people, and we went to a, uh, I think of the Four Seasons he was staying. Yeah. And I, I reminded him that when he was in jail the first time, uh, well, I mean, I think that might have been the only time, but, you know, when he was in jail for, to me, it was a completely bogus conviction on that rape charge. I was going to ask you. That was going to be my last question, but go well, ahead. I did, a, I, did a, <laughs> I did a lot of research, okay. uh, you know, both at the time, and then I did a lot of research when we started working together on the book. And we opened the, the, the book, the, the autobiography, the first book, uh, Undisputed Truth. We opened it with, with the, the scenes of the trial and everything because— the cards were stacked against him. It was Indiana. It was a conservative judge. She had been a sex crimes prosecutor before she became judge, and she wrote the rape shield law. So none of the information about his uh, accuser, Desiree Washington, was allowed into the proceedings, one of which was that she had, had claimed that a white boy in Providence had raped her because she was afraid of her telling her father that she wasn't a virgin anymore. You know, and, and also Mike at the time was with Don King. He was very arrogant. He took the stand like a gangster, you know. So he did everything to kind of facilitate his own. <laughs> you don't, think, you don't think there was a sexual assault, Larry? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. In fact, you know, if you look at the, and it's not just me, if you look at, there are many books written about that trial by uh, former prosecutors and things like that. If you look at the situation, Situation. First of all, if there was anything untoward, she could have walked right out the room. But she went to the bathroom to take off her panty shield and got back in bed with him. And then he spent, you know, I don't want to get too graphic, but then he spent 20 minutes pleasuring her in a way <laughs> that doesn't involve, uh, you know, uh, Anyway, so it, it, it really, to me, it, it, there was no doubt that, and then she, then she wanted to stay, and he was, was to, had to get an early plane, so he basically kicked her out of bed and told her to go back to the limo and to drive her back to her uh, hotel. She was so pissed when she got to the limo. She's muttering to the limo driver, the nerve of him, the nerve of him. That's not something you say if you're raped. That's something if you say if you're scorned. And then the next day, she called him. He gave her his number. And she called him where he was living in Ohio. And uh, he, he blew her off. He didn't get on the phone. 
So to me, it was just, you know, yeah. I mean, she was going around before the thing saying, I'm going to be the next Mrs. Mike Tyson. I'm going to be better than Robin Givens. I'm going to get more money off him. No, I don't think uh, he okay. did it at all. Why were we so drawn to him? Oh, well, by, the, by the way, Larry, I, I want to stop because you were about to tell me about the audition and I interrupted and, and, and sent you the Desiree Washington route. Go back. I think you were going to tell the story about going out to Hollywood and, uh, and getting the job as his co-writer for the autobiography. Yeah, so, um, so when we were in the room, in this hotel room, and uh, um, I was explaining to him how I did these, you know, because I, I, I work with Howard Stern on the first two books, Private Parts of Miss America. I work with David Blaine. I work with Anthony Kiedis on a great book uh, called Scar Tissue about uh, those knuckleheads, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So, you know, um, I, had, I had done this, and I, I knew how to work with celebrities. And I told him what the process would be like. And then I said, Mike, do you remember when you were in jail, I sent you a book to read. It was Nietzsche's, Frederick Nietzsche's autobiography, The Great German Philosopher. And I, and I had written to him and said, this book really helped me out and when I was in my low points. And, you know, if you ever want to do a book, you know, let me know. And of course, I never heard from him. But I said, Mike, do you remember getting that book I sent you? And he goes, yeah, I remember it. Nietzsche was a very interesting fellow. He died in 1900, and he starts he starts reciting the book to me. I mean, it was like, uh, so, so you know, so we had a connection. So, so then I was going to leave, right? Yeah. Uh, I said, so that, the, you know, they said, oh, any more questions, Larry? Anything you want to add? I said, no. So I'm about to leave the room. And I hear a voice, Ratso, and it's Mike. And I go back in the room and he goes, why did you send me that Nietzsche book? Did you think I was Superman? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so then, uh, yeah, I, so that, that we, I mean, we, we got along great. I mean, it was, wasn't the easiest uh, gig in terms of celebrity things because like there are people like Howard Stern, even Anthony Kiedis, who were, so disciplined in terms of like Stern would get off the radio show. I'd meet him up there. I'd get in a limo. We'd drive out to uh, Long Island where he was living then with his first wife. And, uh, you know, we would just work. Literally one time we worked for eight hours straight until I finally said to Howard, Howard, don't you want to eat something? I'm hungry. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, rats. Yeah, sure. And and he brings down like you know he's he, he, Howard was, at that time was always on these crazy diets. So he brought back a salad with like five uh, little nuts on it because you're only allowed to eat five cashews at a time. <laughs> I said, Howard, get me a cheeseburger. <laughs> anyway, so um, so so with Mike, it wasn't like that, but. One of the things I realized with Mike is I had to have my little Casio tape recorder with me anywhere we went because, let, let for example, okay, here's a typical day. We'd go into the garage of his house in Vegas. That's where he kept all his pigeons <laughs> before he <laughs> built the coop. So we'd be literally sitting in the garage with pigeon noises <laughs> in the background, and, and we'd talk for like an hour. And then he'd go, Ratso, could we take a break? I want to play some video games. <laughs> so then we'd go into the other room, and he'd be playing that Call of Duty, yeah. you know, killing people. 
but but in the middle of it, he'll say something profound about cuss or something, and I'd have to immediately turn on the tape recorder and get it. <laughs> and, and then he'd go, you know, let's go shopping. And we'd get in the uh, Escalade, and Fareed, his assistant, would be driving. Mike would be in the front. I'd be in the back seat. And all of a sudden, he'd go into the most moving stories about cuss. So I had to be, you know, just on your on your toes. You had to be yeah, exactly. Yeah. And 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 it, it took a little longer, but the result was, you know, it, it just got unbelievable reviews. It was bestsellers all over the world because yeah. I mean, he was so honest. Yeah. You know, yeah. He, you really could tell. Yeah. And, and, and here's another thing. So we finished the book and um, I was about to go to press and Mike had uh, gotten involved with some promoters to, to help promote some fights. So he was somewhere, up, I think it was upstate New York or something, and they were interviewing him between the fights. And Mike started talking about how he had slipped again. And he was using cocaine. He said, I, I've been clean. Oh, I've been clean. I haven't used any cocaine in four days. <laughs> and I went, what? <laughs> so now we had to go back and write it afterward to the afterward of the book. <laughs> But uh, I, I mean, you know, he's he, he's one of the greatest, the most fun people. I swear to God, I thought for so many slap fives and hugs, I thought my ribs would be broken, you know, because he's such a a, a, a brilliant guy, and yeah. he's so, you know, he he's really one of the the, the true greats. I none, mean, it was of us, really none of us know him that way. I mean, I think people who are driving around or listening to this podcast wherever they are in their headsets are listening to Ratso and they're wondering if Ratso is talking about the same guy that we've been watching for 40 years. It's it, it just it doesn't seem like the same. You're describing somebody different than our perception of Mike Tom. Mike well, Tom I mean Tyson. you could see hints of it uh, in in some of his uh, interviews. I mean, look at the interview he did with Jim Gray. Teddy Atlas was uh, uh, tweeting about the fight, and Teddy Atlas said that Mike and Jim Gray should go on the road as a team, <laughs> as a comedy team. You know, Mike's got a great sense of humor. I loved everything about the this whole show, including the entertainment. I thought Snoop Dogg was unbelievable. Uh, he was incredible. Yeah. And then when he was he was commenting on the fight, he, it was just beautiful. I mean, Snoop was great. I was surprised, actually, that... Uh, they didn't get Kendrick Lamar because when I was working with Mike in, in, for the on the first book, nobody knew who Kendrick was. And we'd get in the car and he'd start playing all his rap music. And I said, who is this kid? And he goes, that's Kendrick Lamar. You're going to love this guy. And, uh, you know, I, I actually... Um, could I curse on this? You already did, Ratso. I know, but I, am I allowed to? <laughs> are, are, are you, are you going to let it go? I don't I know. I don't know. It's up to my producer. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll clean it up a little bit. Okay. But, you know, I uh, in the interim, you know, for years I've been writing lyrics uh, with people like John Cale from the Velvet Underground. And uh, in, in my dotage as an Alta Caca, uh, <laughs> I, I decided I wanted to do an album. And I did my own album. Come produced on. by Yeah, Come produced on. by this. this <laughs> yeah, it's, it's called Stubborn Heart. It's on Spotify, Tidal, Apple, every, everywhere you, you can get your music these days. And it got rave reviews, the album. So I sent a copy of the album to Mike. <laughs> and uh, and I got him on the phone a week later. I said, "So Mike, you listen to my album?" He goes, 
rats out, to be honest, I tried. I said, what do you mean you tried? He goes, <laughs> he goes, Ratso, you know me. If the if the lyrics aren't mother effing this, mother effing that, I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, Mike is just—I mean, he is just such a great, funny guy. I mean, <laughs> I love him to death. Uh, you are terrific. You are great. It is such a profound pleasure for me to catch up with you and for all our listeners to hear your story. I hope wait, you- wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Before we go. Yes. Could I just say one thing? Sure. Did you look at the scoring for that fight? Uh, I, they called it a draw, right? Right. I haven't seen the, the fight. I haven't even seen the fight yet. Lord. Okay. So they had three ex-champions uh, score the fight, one of which was Christy, um, what's her name? Christy Martin. Yeah. Christy Martin. Yeah. She scored it eight rounds to one for Tyson, which was the accurate thing. Then they had this, this former lightweight champion, Vinny Spaziola, whatever his name is. Spazienza. Uh, Pazienza. It's Vinzienza, yeah. But it was just, he his his card was eight zero for Roy Jones. <laughs> and I thought about it, I said, what the what fight was he watching? And then I realized he fought Roy Jones twice, uh, and Roy Jones yes. beat the crap out of him. <laughs> so, of course, he's going to say, oh, Roy Jones is the greatest Man. thing ever. Eight nothing. Oh, Ratso. It doesn't anyway. matter. It's an exhibition. It's like, it's like Thunder Lips against Rocky in, in, the, in the fight. It's an exhibition. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it so much. Right? Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> great to visit with you. What a great pleasure it has been to have you on the show. I hope you'll come on again sometime. Thanks, Mitch. Also, my new single is out. It's available on, on Spotify. It's a cover of Nick Cave's beautiful song, Skeleton Tree. Listen to it. Thank you, Ratso. Okay, take care, Mitch. Thanks. The voice of Ratso, Larry Sloman, who partnered with Mike Tyson on his autobiography years ago. Tyson, by all accounts, beat Roy Jones Jr. on Saturday night in an exhibition, enjoyed himself, and he wants to keep fighting now in his mid-50s. Hey, back with us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, the president of Zeke's Pizza, Dan Black. And Dan, geez, more bad COVID restriction news recently for all of us, especially those of you in the in the restaurant business. What's the deal for our favorite place for Northwest-style pizza? Yeah, similar to what we talked about when the pandemic first hit, it's devastating for the restaurant industry. Uh, Zeke's, we feel fortunate in that we have always had a really strong takeout and delivery business. And so we've been able to capitalize on that and consolidate around that. And then we also have the added thing where the pandemic has really raised awareness in terms of beer delivery and alcohol delivery. And Zeke's is a leader in that category. And so uh, we've been able to ride that leadership position and and actually grow a really strong business uh, around takeout delivery that's even stronger now than it was before. You know, those of us that are pizza shoppers and have pizza delivered to our door uh, we might take the whole process a little bit for granted that phone call the execution but you guys at zeke's take great pride it is very very important that you do this in an efficient manner yeah there's no question the delivery business is unique of course we take great pride and care in the pizza and the beer part with delivery you have the added technology component you know people expect us to be on the level with like uber and amazon and for a company our size that's always a challenge Uh, but then in the COVID era when the pandemic hit of course the way you delivered and all the safety precautions that you take totally changed and 
when it first hit, we learned all that on the fly. The cool thing about the current situation is our COVID safety game has never been stronger. And so we're just keep going in stride right now, even with the new restrictions, because uh, our delivery is extremely safe from a COVID standpoint. And that's one thing that's different about the second time around. And what's the Black family ordering these days? Yeah, that's a no-brainer. We've been ordering nothing but cans of Hop Tropic with our pizza in. Hop Tropic is our famous and really popular house beer, and it's always been extremely popular. It's a Northwest-style IPA, and having it be in cans is a big milestone for Zeke's and Rubens. And the, the cool thing about it is not only can you order it from Zeke's now, is it's got distribution around the Puget Sound, so you can get it at QFC and PCC and Chuck's Hop Shop and any place that there's really good beer around, you can find it now, which is pretty awesome. Nice. So online, on the phone, on the app, three ways to have pizza and beer delivered to your door in minutes. Dan Black, the president of Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. I'm going to tell you that Alabama will take care of business and cover whatever number it is. Jones got it to Devontae Smith. Open field. One man to beat. You can forget about it. Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. So I'm going to take A&M as the cherry. Another blitz. Wobbly throw, and it's intercepted by Buddy Johnson. He's at the goal line, and he's in. A pick six for Texas A&M. Morris looking that way, scrambling, fires, caught, Otten, touchdown Washington! Bentley looking deep downfield, 50-50 ball and it's intercepted, Washington comes down with it, and that should wrap it up for Washington and a remarkable comeback tonight in Husky Stadium. Taco Time and the Taco Time Northwest app present our weekly chat with Rick Neuheisel, remember to order ahead on the app and your meal will be prepared and awaiting your arrival. Rick Neuheisel is with us. I'm wondering what does a Neuheisel Thanksgiving in New York look like? This is like many years in a row. How many? Three, four, five years in a row you've had to spend Thanksgiving in New York, correct? This is year six, but a couple of those years, Mitch, I was on the road. As you recall, Arkansas, Missouri game was always a Friday tilt for CBS. So I would be on the road in either Fayetteville or last year, Little Rock or Columbia, Missouri with the CBS crew to bring that game. So I was with that on the road family, but several of the years I've also been in New York for the, uh, for the festivities here in the apple. And, And given that it's such an awkward year in 2020, and I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving, my wife came out and we went to a store and actually bought, turkey stuff from the store already prepared so that it would serve as leftovers for Friday. (laughs) We did that. And then we went to a very, very nice restaurant that, that we both love on Thursday that was open. You know, they have those, those uh, seatings that you can get. So we, yeah, yeah, we did, we did that. Uh, I highly recommend for anybody who's getting to up in Bedford, which is Westchester County, just North of the city. If you're ever up there, the Pound Ridge Inn. The Pound Ridge Inn. The Pound Ridge Ridge Inn. Now somebody must be asking this follow-up question. So I'll ask it for them. You go to the store to get 
leftovers. Why, why? Well, you get stuff that you that you <laughs> it's already been prepared. It's well, Thanksgiving. Well, why not get the, the the stuff that's already been prepared and then and then have Thanksgiving at home as opposed to getting the stuff for the Friday. The le- I'm a little <laughs> I'm a little confused by the New Heisel always has something. Let, up let me sleep. say this to okay, you. Okay. Let me say this to you. <laughs> when we consumed this this wonderful fare on Friday. Yeah. We both looked at each other and said, you know, this would have been pretty good yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> we both had that kind of epiphany, oh. but that was the idea. And when the wife makes up a great plan, you go with it. Almost a killer new Heisel. Oh. Almost a killer new Heisel at the gate on Saturday. You gave me the the big Sunday of Alabama, which was an easy winner for I all hope of us you at just the gate. Feasted on that. Oh, one. but then the cherry was so close. You had Texas A and M minus thirteen and a half points on the show last week, and they won by thirteen. Rick Neuheisel. with a touchdown in the final minute. It was oh, the backdoor oh, backdoor I covers. See, I didn't see that. Oh. Yeah, a final minute touchdown. Oh. It just wasn't right. Oh, just, uh, gosh. You know, it, it, it was like for somebody who just, you know, doesn't <laughs> like dairy. It just wasn't right. <laughs> now, Jimmy Lake has already done something at the University of Washington that Rick Neuheisel never did. Did you know that? I know. He came from 21 down. He did. He came from, he came 21, from 21 down. down. It hadn't been done since the 80s. I actually stayed up and watched that game. You did? I did, oh. and I enjoyed it. I and I'm going to give you a couple of points. Okay. Number one, I love Jimmy Lake. I love the way his defenses have played long before he became the head coach. But though his composure on the sideline, despite being 21 down, it exuded confidence, and I think his team absolutely fed off it. Okay. And it was one of the reasons they came back. Okay. And I love uh, Dylan Morris. Now I would take a lot of the RPMs out of his throwing arm. I I think he throws the ball way too hard on balls that don't need to be thrown hard, but hopefully that will come as he uh, continues to mature in the position. But does he have some guts? I love the game, the opportunistic defense. It was, uh, it was Husky football at Husky stadium and then some, Ah, and it's just a shame. We didn't have the normal 70,000 plus screaming and rooting for him because that was uh, one they would have uh, remembered for some time. Let me, let me come back at you with a couple things that you just said. I'll come back to Jimmy Lake in a minute, but what I love about that game, and I didn't go to Washington. I now have a son, believe it or not at the university of Washington, but I'm not a Washington honk. By any stretch of the imagination, and yet, when you look, when you if look back, choosing between being a Washington honk and a Syracuse <laughs> honk on this particular weekend, oh, no. choose oh, the honk no. with purple. Yeah, Are choose you, the honk uh, with purple. What are you saying that not, that every quarterback <laughs> doesn't spike it on fourth down? Every, we'll get every, to that, Mitch. We'll get to that. <laughs> oh God! But when you look at that game, what I love about that game is the Washington defense, which you just talked about had to throw a shutout in the second half. They kind of knew it going into the second half. They had to throw a shutout to give their team any chance. And maybe they still wouldn't win had they throw a shutout. And yet, they go out and they deliver just that. They get off the field. They get the uh, the opposing team. They get the Utah offense off the field over and over and over again. Even 
when if you stayed up and saw the game, you saw you saw Dylan's toss that was short that ended up as an interception. Right. That, that looked right. like looked like it might end the game for all intents and Took, purposes. Take a little wind out of the sails of the comeback, no right. question. Yeah. And and then the defense has to get the ball back to the offense, and again it comes through. I just love the fact that that defense had zero margin for error in the second half to give its team a chance to win, and yet they came through time and time again. And this is, again, why I point to Jimmy Lake, because if you've watched the Husky defense since Jimmy Lake has been in charge of it, and and certainly Pete Kwiatkowski deserves some of the credit as well, because even when Jimmy became the coordinator, Kwiatkowski was still a huge piece yeah. of that defensive contingent for Chris Peterson. But that's the way they have played since Peterson arrived in Seattle. Those defenders have a swagger about them that is reminiscent of the old James gang when Jim Lambright was the defensive coordinator. It just, it's, it's a swagger. It's a way we are getting the ball back. They are not scoring on us yeah. and it's fun to watch. It really is fun to watch. I recall being the opponent of those Husky teams uh, and knowing that we better buckle our chin straps just a notch tighter if we're going to have any chance against these, uh, these roughnecks. And that's exactly how they're playing right now. And I thought that was still personified, even though Lake is now the head coach and Lake's, his energy from the sideline, even though it looked stoic at times and there's a face mask, so you can't really read his lips or see what he's, his face expressions are. Yeah. It exuded confidence. Yeah. And that's what I admired about it. Now, I don't know when people are going to actually listen to this podcast. It's being released on a Tuesday. So some might be listening to this after the, the, the release of the committee's latest top 25. Any reason to believe for those of us that are listening before that gets released any reason to believe that Washington won't be somewhere in the top 25? Uh, you know, it, listen, this is such a topsy-turvy year. And, you know, who's getting uh, the love of the committee, where the committee's eyes are focused and such, I have no idea. But I would be shocked if Washington's not sitting there in that 21, 22, 23 range, given that they're 3-0, and they are the University of Washington, and coming from 21 down, has got to get somebody's attention. And the Oregon loss, a killer to the conference, right? Devastating. Yeah, I think game, set, match for the Pac-12 in, in the uh, race for a playoff spot. Mm. I mean, there's so much for the committee to, to try to factor in now. But the top seed, at least from the Pac-12's uh, vantage point, uh, at 15, Oregon going down to their uh, in-state rival, Oregon State, just, I think, is a death knell. And, and USC wasn't there to pick it up because USC couldn't play. So I think it's it's game, set, match, and we'll wait and see what uh, fate awaits the champion of the Pac-12. The voice of Rick Neuheisel brought to you by Taco Time. Are you following, because I'm not, and hopefully you can help me and bail me out here, the shenanigans about this BYU-Washington game that was proposed to get BYU another game and Washington had availability and BYU didn't play it. And then they interviewed on the selection show. They interviewed the BYU coach who says, we'll play anybody. We were prepared to play that game, but we're not going to go into why that game didn't happen. Uh, there's a lot of he said, she said, and I don't right. really I don't really quite follow it all, Rick. Well, as I'm told, and again, this is this is third-party stuff, so take it how you want to take it. But what I'm told is BYU did not want to commit to the game until after this selection show. They wanted to see where they were seated. When they realized they were seated 14th, 
Now they were interested in the game, but then they couldn't get a financial guarantee because there wasn't one. And the deal for the Pac-12 and now inviting non-conference opponents when there's a opening in their schedule is you have to come to their stadium and you have to uh, play in their television deal. And the guarantee of what would be shared with the television wasn't up to BYU's liking. So they decided against it. I think they did offer to have Washington come to BYU, but they also knew that Washington couldn't come. So it wasn't as though as Kalani, uh, who's a friend of mine and a good guy, uh, suggested anytime, anywhere. It was not that at all, because I think BYU was pretty uh, feeling pretty good about where they might be selected, hoping they'd be in the top 10. Did he air? Oh, I think it was a terrible air, but it wouldn't have mattered because when Utah came available, the conference was always going to side with a conference opponent. Yeah, but but BYU should be right now with their hand is stretched as high as they can stretch it to play anybody anywhere. I mean, Cincinnati's available this week, but right now uh, Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the American Conference, is saying no deal. Uh, they're not going to do that. And BYU has a couple of things that they want to get accomplished. One is to get the best bowl they can get this year. Uh-huh. I think the playoffs are outside looking in. Right. The chance for a playoff spot is they're outside looking in. But they're also probably interested in getting that 12th spot in the American Conference. You know, Connecticut left to go back to the Big East and be a basketball school. So there's a, the, the American is looking for a 12th partner. And BYU would be very fortunate and, and happy to take that, I believe. But uh, but that's not coming to fruition, at least as I'm hearing. Alabama dispatches of Auburn, as you told us they would, Rick Neuheisel. And you know right. me, I have always the alternative question. And my biggest question about that game is, Nick Saban's at home. He then does the interview. He's wearing a <laughs> coat and tie. Well, why Creature is Nick, of habit. Why is friend. Nick Saban at home in a creature of habit. watching this game and on I'm TV? All, and I'm telling you, he was screaming <laughs> at the players on the field as if he were there, too. I'm, I'm just telling you. I wish we had video of him watching that game. Someone should have thought to just pirate some camera in the place where he was going to watch that game because I promise you he would have walked, you know, along the, some sideline. Somebody probably came in and gave some turf and had his fo- arms folded as as we normally see the 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 uh the goat kind yeah. of strolling that sideline but yeah. uh yeah. yeah there was no question so you saw uh the suit on game day on saturday morning and then he also had a his normal not necessarily a suit but a sport coat and tie on with jamie erdahl the cbs sideline reporter yeah uh that uh, in an interview he did on friday night yeah. so yeah it's hey <laughs> <laughs> spare no detail nothing's too small to overlook there was nothing he was not I, going I, to do exactly as he did i think you and every I, game day. I think you and i rick should start the chance saban's overrated this is sarkeesian's team now <laughs> <laughs> only if we really dislike sark would we do that because sark doesn't need that aggravation he just doesn't oh. uh and i promise you they all went in and got in in a zoom meeting there was probably a giant screen i mean the largest black friday screen known to man was in that locker room so that he could sing the fight song with them and they could all know that he was right there and i guarantee he had switched to game day gear for that okay deal okay 
Mac Jones, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Does that vault him into the driver's seat for the Heisman? I'm assuming Kyle Trask is still very much in the conversation. Oh, they're both very much in the conversation. And and Trevor Lawrence is going to try to make a, a late bid here, too. He had 400 yards passing over the weekend against Pitt. He's got a Notre Dame rematch looming. Uh, they're all going to stay in the fray. I think the voting has got to be concluded before we get to the uh, playoffs, but they're not going to announce until the like the week of the national championship game. So uh, we'll we'll have to wait much longer than we've had to. I think the winner of the SEC, whether it's Alabama or Florida, their quarterback's going to be the Heisman Trophy winner. There's a lot on the line in that game, more than just a, a typical SEC. I think it's going to be a monster game, and and I would say this to you, Mitch, as we will get the uh, rankings on Tuesday, and and not sure exactly when your your listeners are are paying attention. But I would say that we're going to have an SEC team at number one. Potentially, I don't know that AM will vault Ohio State due to Ohio State's inactivity. Right. But it's possible they could go to four and Ohio State could go to five. Wow. And then you're going to have two more SEC teams wow. at, at six and seven with Florida and Georgia because of Northwestern's loss. So it's a weird deal because if Notre Dame were to beat Clemson, it would be conceivable, assuming Ohio State can't play and what the committee believes about not having enough games, that you could have three SEC teams in the Final Four. Unbelievable. We'd be remiss. We can't have this conversation about college football this week, Rick Neuheisel, without talking about a female playing in a big conference game for the first time in history as Vandy soccer player Sarah Fuller kicked off in a 41-0 loss to Missouri. And then subsequently the next day the head coach was dismissed in, a, in another story altogether. What are your thoughts about that, having watched it? Obviously, it's a nice story for the young woman to get a chance to play in a major college game. It was a squib kick. Uh, but that that matters not. It it just it matters that she was out there and she got to play. And we're seeing all sorts of gender stereotypes broken as, as we go on in, in in our lives. And I think we're all thankful that we're getting beyond some of these uh, notions of what people can and cannot do. The bigger story is that Derek Mason, the head coach, has lost his job. Yeah. And I just I don't know how you maintain your job uh, given the amount of opt-outs that he had at Vanderbilt, the amount of uphill sledding he had in the first place, coaching at a school that has those kind of admissions requirements in a league that is absolutely built to be the best in college football. Uh, So it was going to be uphill. And, and obviously this, this last game uh, was too much for those who uh, are close to the administration and they, they pulled the plug, but uh, I wish Derek Mason the best. You recall before getting that job, he was the defensive coordinator for David Shaw at uh, Stanford did such a great job. Well, uh, that's a tough gig. Uh, not that it wouldn't be fun. It, it'd be a tough – it's a tough gig. Now – You get to learn a lot of country western songs. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. In, in your award-winning playing days, did you ever spike the ball to stop the clock only to realize that it was it was fourth down and you just turned it over as my beloved think, alma mater did I thank did this my weekend? lucky stars <laughs> that that never happened to me. I had lots of embarrassing things happen to me. That was not one of them. But I felt horrible for 
your Syracuse quarterback, oh God. who uh, got sacked on third down after running what probably was about 80 yards, trying to hustle everybody back, throws the game's final play into the turf, oh. uh, down seven oh. in, in a season where Syracuse is, oh. is wanting for victory. Oh. So I feel bad for you and all the other <laughs> orange alums who had to witness that particular oh. moment. Well, there's only one way that you can make us all feel better. And that's deliver a dessert today. I want to do so well for you here. <laughs> I really do. There's a great game between Liberty and Coastal Carolina. Ooh. Liberty is 9-1. and one. Coastal Carolina is the winners of the East in the Sun Belt. Yes. And I just believe Hugh Freeze has got one more ace up his sleeve. He's an underdog. He's an underdog by six. Yep. I'm going to take the Flames oh. in that game oh. uh, because I think Coastal Carolina will be thinking about their date with destiny as they get ready for a championship game uh, against Louisiana. But I, I, I like Liberty, wow. but I'm going to take that game as the cherry. Oh, you started. You're working your way down. I'm working sudden? my <laughs> way down to the, the nuts and bolts okay. in yeah. this particular deal because I believe – that the Washington Huskies. Oh! <laughs> after, I think Jimmy Lake will say, we are not going to start slow again this week. We saw how we we're capable of playing. Okay. And I'm going to take the dogs. Wow, laying the lumber. Over Stanford. That's a lot of points. That's 11. As, uh, as somebody would say, that's a lot of miles. That's a lot yeah. of points. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to take the dogs, and I'm not doing this just because we're a, your, your, your podcast emanates from the great Puget Sound. I, I am doing it because I believe okay. we're going to get this done. I think the dogs are going to get it done. All right. Washington to win by more than the 11. That's the Sunday. That's the ice cream. And then the cherry on top, he's taken an underdog uh, in Liberty plus the six points against Coastal Carolina. Uh, it's all there for you. And if you want if you want just a sprinkle of nuts. Sure, why not? Why take not? Take the Aggies, take the Aggies over Auburn. Okay, got it. We've got three from Rick Neuheisel presented by Taco Time and the Taco Time Northwest app. Great. Have a great week, and we'll speak to you on episode 120, Rick Neuheisel. I appreciate it. Got some leftovers to get to, Mitch. Thank you. <laughs> So there's New Heisel, and I don't know, just seems like a foregone conclusion that Alabama will play Clemson in the title game again. College football has a real problem in my estimation. Very little parity, same teams every year, need some more unpredictability. If you're competing against Scott and me in the Beat the Boys contest, you know our presenting sponsor is Fireside Home Solutions. The owner, John Waterstrat, is on the horn. John, let's discuss the process, the fireplace process this week. The weather is turning. A new energy-efficient fireplace is on our to-do list. We shop around. We go to your website. Then what? Take us through the steps from beginning to end on how it works on your end. So we try to make it as easy as possible, Mitch. Uh, the first thing we can do is you just make a call. You can either have us just come right out to your home so you don't have to leave your home. We can come right to you. Or if you want to come into one of our showrooms, come on in and we can look at fireplaces. We always want to come to your home before we do an installation. So once we come to your home, we'll do all the measurements, make sure everything's going to be a perfect fit for you. Then what we do is get you scheduled right there in that 
then. We'll give a call right to the office, get you scheduled right up. Hopefully in about a week or two weeks, we'll get everything going. Our installers will come out, get you a nice, beautiful installation, spend as much time as they can with you to make sure you answer all your questions. And then at the very end, we're going to follow up. Just make sure you have everything that you need. And the nice thing we've always talked about is that service is very important to us. So if anything does go wrong, please give us a call and we have that service department to make sure they can answer any of your questions. Start to finish. How long? And I guess that depends on whether the product that they choose is in stock, correct? We want to make sure that uh, we look at the different products. So we've been doing this for I've been doing this for over 20 years. So we do stock about four or five different inserts. Those would be our fast track inserts. We could get you done in about two weeks from start to finish. If you want to order something that's more decorative, ornate, something that we don't stock, it's going to take you uh, approximately about three to five weeks, depending on what you pick. But either way, depending on if you want to get fast tracked or if you want to get something that's a little bit more fancy. And you have showrooms from Bellevue down to the Portland area. We have listeners of Mitch Unfiltered all over the West Coast. So why don't you identify where these places are? Yep. Uh, again, our flagship store is there in Bellevue, right there in the corridor of Bellevue. We can help you out with whatever you need. Uh, we also have our Kent location and Puyallup for the South End people. But down in uh, the Oregon area, we have one that's conveniently located in Tualatin or up in the Beaverton area. Great. They are an unbelievable football season partner, hopefully all year round one of these days. Start your shopping at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered. Stuff segment episode 119. Hot shot, Scott. Forget Skittles. Marshawn Lynch says he would shoot Hennessy in the locker room before NFL games. <laughs> Do you know what Hennessy is? For I, it's a drink. It's yeah. It's it's a cognac or cognac or okay. however you say it. Yeah. Claiming he would use his backpack to sneak the booze in before playing games. He told this to Peyton. Peyton Manning again has like something yeah. called Peyton's Place or something. Yeah. He's drinking booze before games. Like, what the hell? What would he have been like if he didn't do that? Or maybe he needed it. Who knows? Oh, so there you go. Marshawn Lynch and cognac. I was going to do in the other stuff segment a little Scooby snack of Mr. Postseason. All right. But it doesn't seem like it fits with everything that you do in, in the other stuff. I don't think our uh, my other stuff and your other stuff are completely different. Okay. Well, maybe people like that. Different styles. I don't know. I don't Go know. Ahead, so, give it to so me. So before I do that, I'll tell you that Claudio Fernandez's life has been ruined. Claudio Fernandez. He, he claims Claudio Fernandez says, my life has been ruined. Okay. Do you know who Claudio Fernandez is? I don't. Neither do I. All right. You see, Claudio Fernandez is a funeral worker. You know where I'm going? I do. I have it. In my, yeah, I think I have it in my, my rest in pieces. Who posed rest for a selfie yeah. with the open casket of Diego Maradona. Yep. Classy. With his, I think with his thumb up or, a, you know, like oh, a yeah, picture. Yeah. And it, ma- it made the rounds and he's been getting death threats. And he says it, that bad mistake, that mistake in judgment that he apologizes for has ruined his life. Yeah. No, I, I saw he got fired. There's been some other weirdness with that case, too. They're calling it criminal idiocy. And there's like an investigation. Whether the, whether the paramedics got there on time or something. 30 minutes. So yeah. now there's an investigation. So yeah, there's a lot of weird. Do you know anything about that. this guy, Diego Maradona? Do you follow soccer at all? Soccer? If you, if you, you don't said, like. If you said the name, I would have gone, oh, yeah, soccer player. Like, I totally yeah, know who yeah, he is. Yeah, but you don't. And I've gone back and watched highlights. So yeah. that, that's about all I know about him. I remember he looked a little heavy when he was playing. Yeah. 
<laughs> like towards the end Little of his Zoftic. career. Little Zoftic. He was good enough at heavy to be yeah. as good as anyone. Yeah. But, but from the list I was looking at, he's the greatest of all time. It's like, it's like him and Pele. So the goat of soccer passed away, which is sad. So how do you... Maybe I shouldn't ask this and I'm just opening a can of worms, but <laughs> at what point does it not trigger, does something not trigger to you that this is a bad idea taking a selfie with the dead body, the dead corpse of one of the greatest soccer players of all time. Well, we saw it with Kobe Bryant. P- people taking pictures. Yeah, showing them at the bar right. and everything. Trying to impress pick up, girl. Pick up girls. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, people, they can't resist. Everyone has a camera on their person at all times. Right. That can't be good. Right? Of course like, but but I would never, and I, maybe, I'm, again, I'm not going to try to inject logic into this. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't even think of posing with a dead body. What is this weekend at Bernie's? Yeah, I know. But you <laughs> have Jonathan to, Silverman. This guy's working at a at a funeral home, okay. and the most famous soccer player who's okay. ever lived is in there. Sounds like you would do it. If I'm him, I might. <laughs> I don't know. Not anymore, though. He got fired and he's getting death threats. But I mean, I, I can sort of see where somebody would do that. All right. Yeah. Bad news for hoop fans. We were talking about this. It looks like it's not going to happen. The thing we wanted to see so badly. Yeah. Michael Jordan and LeVar Ball are probably not going to face off on the court, according uh, to LeVar Ball. You, you would have paid 50 bucks to put that on the undercard. Oh, for sure, yes. Yeah. He says, realistically, neither one, neither one of us is going to do this. We're over 50. Didn't you say his son got drafted by Michael Jordan? Yes, I did. Okay, so now he, it's kind of funny how he's pulling back a bit when he thinks he might bump into him. Yeah, because we could do this at 49, but at 50, no. <laughs> exactly right. At 50, what's it? There's a chance that he and Jordan will be in a gym together at the same time. Now now he's backing off a little bit, of course. Makes sense. Congratulations are in order, Hotshot Scott, to the Syracuse football team, my alma mater. All right. Yes. Donovan McNabb. The Syracuse football team found another way to lose a game the other day. Oh, boy. They were, up th- they were down 36-29 to 29 late in the game. They were going down the field with no timeouts left to try to throw the ball into the end zone for the game-tying score. Okay. The quarterback rushed to the line of scrimmage with the clock ticking. He needed to stop the clock. Right. He took the snap and he, and he threw the ball. He thrust the ball into the turf. He spiked the ball into the turf sure. to stop the clock. And he still had one play to go. One problem. It was fourth down. <laughs> <Is that right? laughs> Come on. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, poor guy. Oh. Fourth down. I think I say it hit his shoe and bounced up or something. Was fourth down. Yeah. He just it killed the game right there. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Isn't that, by uh, the way, I've always thought that's weird. Intentional grounding. We saw it with Carson. But you could take the ball and throw it right in front of you. And that's not intentional grounding. That's huh? not intentional grounding. Okay, that's And good you're in the pocket and it doesn't get to the line of scrimmage. <laughs> what is going on with the rules? Oh, my uh, God. All right, real quick. Ryan Seacrest, he's selling his Beverly Hills house if you're interested. Now, you brought up the fact that it sounds like you thought Ellen is always selling houses for yeah. some reason. Yeah. But Ryan bought this house from Ellen, so that's why I'm bringing it up. So maybe maybe she does buy houses. Every time nonstop. I turn around, Ellen DeGeneres is, is selling a house. <laughs> she and Oprah are always yeah. selling houses. And she bought it from the Will and Grace creator, Max Muchnick. I don't know who I that know is. Who that is. He's great um, offensive lineman for the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, that's right. Max, Max Munch. Oh, yeah. So he bought it from her. She bought it from him. Uh, he bought it for $39 million in 2012. He's putting it up for $85 million if you want Ryan Seacrest's old house. God, he's doing okay for himself, that Ryan Seacrest. Yeah, he's been able to. I mean, this will help him earn some money after, you know, I mean. He's got every job in the world. It's crazy. He's now Dick Clark. Somehow he became Dick Clark. I don't oh, yeah. know. I don't know how he became Dick Clark. Yeah, he's on, and he became Regis. And Casey Kasem. And he became Casey Kasem. Yeah. So he's Casey Kasem, Dick Clark, and Regis that's Philbin. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, and uh, Idol. I'm sure. I don't know if he's still doing Idol or not. Yeah, but, but that's not. He, he was the first guy. Right. I know. But yeah. I mean, it's like the amount of money this guy, the amount it's of jobs. Amazing. And he's also, I think he started keeping up with the Kardashians. So he's getting that royalty money as well. So All right. I'll do, I'll do one more. And then you do your, unless you have anything quick. Tommy Lasorda is recovering and he's in the, going in the right direction. He's taking good. calls from friends, former media good, good, members good. like you. You yes. can call him if you'd like. Yes, I can. And, <laughs> and players. I'm taking a shit. <laughs> Feel free to give him a ring. He's doing better. Yeah. Quick okay. rest in peace. The guy that played Darth Vader, the actor, passed away. I don't know. Who is that? His name is... Yeah, I have it in here. Charles somewhere. Nelson Riley. No. <laughs> no, it's definitely not Charles Nelson Riley. Oh, I had it in here. I'm so bummed I don't have it. Uh, but he, he wasn't the voice. You know, that was James Earl Jones who voiced Darth Vader. But rest in peace to that guy. I wish I had his name. I'm going to give you a Scooby snack, a Mr. Postseason Scooby snack. All right, I'm ready. Just to wet your whistle, to wet your appetite for the real Mr. Postseason later in the week to patrons. Okay? I'm ready. The Seahawks beat the Eagles to move to 8-3. and three. They rose up to number two seed now in the NFC. There's only one team. They win the tiebreaker with the Green Bay Packers because of what they call strength of victory. They're slightly ahead of the Packers in terms of their victims. Okay. So that made them number two. Those two teams are 8-3, and three, and there's one 9-2 and two team. And that's the Saints, right? Yeah. The Saints play the Falcons this week. And what I'm about to give you is never going to happen. So we're probably wasting our breath, but it still points out what I'm trying to point out. Not the first In my little Scooby snack. All right. Okay. If the New Orleans Saints lose to the Atlanta Falcons this week, I started the show by saying this is part of the beat the boys competition and don't sleep on the – don't sleep on the Atlanta Falcons against the New Orleans Saints. Mm. If the Atlanta Falcons beat the Saints, the Seattle Seahawks will at that moment, at that precise moment, control their own destiny for the number one seed in the NFL, mm. which is my way of saying that if the Falcons beat the Saints and the Seahawks win out and finish 13-3, and three, the Saints could still finish 13-3. and three. The Packers could still finish 13-3. and By virtue of all the tiebreakers, and I'll give you the tiebreaker that it would come down to if both of those two teams finished 13-3 and with the Seahawks, which is obviously never going to happen. All three teams are not going to finish 13-3. <laughs> and But if all three teams finish 13-3 and with the Saints losing to the Falcons this Sunday, your Seattle Seahawks would come out of that three-team tiebreaker as the number one seed in the NFC with a bye unless they decide to do away with the bye and add a team. Now, here's the reason, okay? Okay. Let's assume they all went out. Green Bay finishes 13-3, and wins the North. Yeah. Saints finish 13-3, and win the South. Seahawks finish 13-3, and win the West. Yep. Okay? The first question would be, is there a natural round robin? Has anybody beaten the other two? Well, the answer is the Packers beat the Saints, but the Packers haven't played the Seahawks, Seahawks and the yeah. Saints haven't played the Seahawks and won't, okay? So the next question becomes, what about conference record? Well, there's a, a, a scenario where they actually all finish with the same conference record. Two losses, okay? okay. The third tiebreaker, I'm just going to remind you of this. The third tiebreaker in such a tie would be the record amongst common opponents minimum four. And there's actually four common opponents between the three teams. Those four teams are the Eagles, the 49ers, 
the Vikings, and the Falcons. The Green Bay Packers, Seattle Seahawks, and New Orleans Saints at the end of the season will have all played, all three of them will have all played the Eagles, the 49ers, the Vikings, and the Falcons. Okay. If the Seahawks go 13-3, and they win out. What would their record have been, Hotshot, at 13-3 and against those four teams? The Eagles. Yep, 1-0. The Vikings. 2-0. The Falcons. 3-0. The 49ers. So far, 4-0. And if they went out to get to 13-3? and 5-0. 5-0 against the four common opponents. With the loss this week of the Saints to the Falcons, one of the common opponents, that would be their one loss. Oh, imagine. And the Packers have already lost to the Vikings. That's right. That They, we- they weirdly lost to the – that's th- right. Their one loss. So, by virtue of ah. common opponents – if the, if the Saints lose to the Falcons this week and the Seahawks run the table, they are the number one seed in the NFC, which is never probably going to happen, <laughs> but it's still a Scooby snack for Mr. Playoffs. They'll be 11 and 5, 12 and 4 all over the place. That is cool, though. They, if, you, if they lose, you can just control your destiny. Just you, win. You got you win. Number one seed. Number one seed. Love it. They're not in that situation now. They're right. not in that situation now. Right. So it'd be nice to know that you are at some point. There you go. I like it. That's from me to you. A little Scooby snack. Well, how do I transition into a sex doll now after oh, <laughs> after two? I mean, this- I gave you the Florida man news story. I sent it to you. Yeah, you did. But it was already too late. I already done this. And, oh, come on. Yeah. The guy was at the bottom of a boat, for God's sakes. He was hanging onto a boat in the water It was kind of three a, days. a positive story, and that's not my style when it comes to All Florida right, go people. Go ahead. Finish, so, it, finish it up. This bodybuilder and self-proclaimed sexy maniac from Kazakhstan has tied the knot with a synthetic sex doll in a stunning ceremony celebrating the couple's 18-month relationship. Okay. Yuri Talochko married his fiance Margot after months of delays caused Yuri by the pandemic. Yuri and Margot. Yeah, yeah, Yuri and Margot. Uh, He was in a smart black dinner suit and bow tie. The groom is all smiles in the wedding video. She's got a social media account, and she put a video up on Instagram that 140,000 people managed to follow her for some reason. Margo? Seems seems nice. Reports say the couple have been together for 18 months. She... He treats the doll like a real-life woman. Margo, he says, has a fiery personality. She swears, but there's a tender soul inside. Margo shares details of their relationship on her Instagram page if you're interested in hearing about that <laughs> including including plans for their you know who gave big day. who gave her the name Margo I don't have an answer did to that. he give her the name Margo did he name his wife well I I mean she is a doll I'm guessing that she doesn't name herself so <laughs> it's not a cabbage patch kid where the name comes with it you have to keep I thought maybe there's a, a name on the outside of the package yeah there may be uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Comes, comes with it yeah all right so believe me fella you don't need to marry a doll to have a lifeless partner on your wedding night. No sniff. <laughs> it's going to be For hard. the guy. No sniff. We've all gone through crappy breakups, dude, but this sort of protest really isn't necessary. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it feel like he's trying to stick it to an ex here? God, an idiot. The best part uh, about the wedding, the bride's brother gave the best man speech. Because <laughs> they're always pretty crappy. To me. All right. If you're going to marry a doll... Oh, the real God. doll is the yeah. way to go. Way better than a chatty Kathy doll. Jokes from 1959, of course. Yeah. I just thought about that because playing trains automobiles he doesn't. All right. And finally, the most yes, in, the most improbable part of this story isn't that a bodybuilder married a doll. It's that he keeps lifting weights and working out. <laughs> Why <laughs> the hell would you? Right? <laughs> Who would judge you? I mean, oh. I barely do it now, and I have a, a human at home. 
Gosh. Who I hope is attracted to me every <laughs> once in a while. God, why would you ever if you're married to a doll? Uh, All right, I'm out. I'm uh, done. Dear. I got nothing. All right. All right. Good job by the Seahawks. Play your um, your Beat the Boys. You now know the code from the earlier on in the show. Yep. We told you the code, which is Collins. Listen to the Phil Collins. If you're a patron, listen to the Phil Collins. What do you want to call it? A I don't know. I really don't know what to call it. it it's, it's a it's, Phil Collins. It's, it's a retrospective about his music, not his life. I don't. I don't. A little really, bit about his life. A little bit, but I don't yeah. get into personal life that much. Okay. It's more about the his hits. Okay. The music. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Episode 119, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. In the books. Thank you.